Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 858 with Carol Lawrence. A diner day is coming into the diner, having breakfast, because that's usually what most people have when they come to the diner, which can be served 24-7, by the way. You know, come in, communicate with people sitting next to you. I mean, you know, all walks of life that come into a diner. Diner days are usually good days. Right. They're, they're definitely good days. So have a diner day. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and Talk to the Manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that Talk to the Manager provides. Also, with Talk to the Manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. We're talking to Carol Lawrence, but before I tell you a little bit more about Carol, a reminder, this podcast does need your support. Spread the word. Tell 
everybody you know about what we're trying to do here to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. I can't do it without you. So Carol Lawrence, she got her start in the industry at 12 years old, peeling potatoes from there. She worked her way up to dishwasher and line cook at the Belmont Hall before making her way to the Weather Vane restaurant where she waitressed for just two weeks before becoming the dining room manager. Carol bought her first restaurant in September of 1987 when she was just 23 years old old since this time she has earned a national exposure for the red arrow diner through print television and radio media as well as expanding the brand to what i believe was five locations throughout new hampshire we're talking to a, a new hampshire legend today here she is carol lawrence and actually i should say a special thanks to bobby marcotte for calling carol out i'm happy you did here she is with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, the owner and president of the Red Arrow Diner, Carol Lawrence. Carol, are you feeling unstoppable today? Eric, I am feeling extremely unstoppable. I, this is exciting. I'm so excited to have you here. And it was Bobby Marcotte that called you out. He was episode 827. He's actually been on the show a few times, but that's the episode, the most recent episode when he called you out. And I should mention too, you're not just in the restaurant business. You also have your own, was a beauty salon? What was it you mentioned? Sewing store. Sewing. I don't know where I got beauty salon. Definitely I think not. it's because of your style. Beauty salon. Oh my goodness. Sewing. I don't know where I got beauty salon, but you got a lot going on. I do. And I'm excited to unpackage all that. But before we do, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Ooh, okay. Well, I, ha I have a couple, two, two or three. Drop. One I steal from my dad and we use it a lot. But mine, and it'll be weaved into my story. Have, well, have a diner day. Have a diner day. What's that mean to you? What does that mean to me? I mean, it, the diner was just such it is a big part of my life and um it just uh have a diner day i just i came up with it this what is a diner day a diner day is coming into the diner having breakfast because that's usually what most people have when they come to the diner which can be served 24 7 by the way um just you know come in communicate with people sitting next to you i mean you know all walks of life that come into a diner and diner just, days are usually good days. Right. They're when, they're definitely good days. So have a diner day. Yeah. When you go to a diner, it's usually a day to like kind of slow down. I've, I, at least in my own personal experience, you go to a diner on a, on a Saturday or Sunday, you're, you're relaxing, you're starting your day off right. You know, and that's a diner day. It's a good day. That's what I hear when exactly. I hear that. I exactly. love it. Great stuff. Um, what's your dad's name? George Lawrence. <laughs> Thank you, George, for that awesome quote. No, um, no, no. That was my quote. That was, my, I thought you said you stole it from your dad. Well, no, I had that's that's mine. And uh, then I also another one that we do a lot, and this is my dad's quote, is did I make it better today? Like at the end of your day, he always says that. And it's kind of like a not not a joke in a bad way joke, but we all do it a lot. Like the GMs, when we have our GM weekly meetings, it's did I make it better? better today. That's an echoing statement that comes up a lot in my conversations. And I think it has many different names. It reminds me of the, the concept of Kaizen, like constantly growing, constantly doing it better, but being a better version of yourself today than you were yesterday. Right. right? You, you hear exactly. it come up in many different ways, but I love that great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? You, you grew up in this industry. Didn't I you not? sure did. Yeah. So we, 
We got to go way back. I think we got to kind of go way back. Um, and I do have it kind of in a, in a little bit of a nutshell. So uh, it started way back when I was, gosh, 12. And my dad uh, at that time was laid off. He was a tin knocker. And he was laid off and wasn't sure, like quite a few months, and wasn't sure exactly what he was going to do. And my great uncle, my grandmother's uh, sister's husband, uh, Uncle Ray, he had a small uh, restaurant over on the um, east side of Manchester called Ray's Lunch. And he was getting ready to retire. None of his kids wanted it. And he approached my dad and said, well, do you, what do you think? You're laid off. You don't know what you're going to do. Why don't you come into the restaurant business? So my dad said, yeah, let, let's try it. And my uncle said, I'll work with you for a year. It's going to be this amount, this, this, this. And my, my, dad, my dad did it. Um, and my uncle stayed with him for exactly a year. And, uh, and that's how Belmont Hall came about. Um, so it started very small. Uh, like what my uncle had originally had was like a, a counter with, um, I think it was eight or nine stools and, and a few booths. And since then, it's been added on and added on. There's a hall, so lots of, um, you know, functions, wedding showers, baby showers, all that stuff is all happens at Belmont Hall. And they're still around to this day. Where is Belmont Hall? It's off of Valley Street. Okay. Um, Belmont and Grove Street. But for people who are saying California listening to this, is it in Manchester, New Hampshire? It's in Manchester, New Hampshire. Yes. Got it. Yes. Um, and so your uncle or your, your, was your dad's uncle or your dad? Your... My dad's, um, yeah, my dad's uncle, my great uncle. Got it. Yes. And uh, what was he, what was his story? What was he doing? Was he an entrepreneur himself? Yeah, you could say that because he actually, way back in the day, used to work at the Red Arrow Diner. Okay. So it kind of like intertwines there. So. And I'm um, sure, I was curious how, because I know that brand's been around for a long time. Um, you first owned a restaurant at the age of 23. Was that the the Red Arrow yes. Diner? Yes. Okay. And was this the, the OG Red Arrow Diner? Were there multiple locations at one point? There was, but not uh, they, they. All the locations stopped after about the 1950s. Got it. We're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, so I apologize. So, okay, you you come up under your dad's restaurant is where yes. you start learning. And that's I love that start. That's how I got my start in the restaurant yep. industry, working for yep. my parents. So, what was it like? Reflect back at that time. How reflect back at like what your dad was going through, being a first time restaurant owner. Do you have any memories of what that was like? Oh gosh. Sure do. We, and, and as kids, you know, I'm, I was, I'm the oldest. So, uh, I was 12, my brother, you know, 10, my sister, seven or eight. And we used to go, it was like a family thing to go. They weren't open on Saturdays and Sundays at the time. And we used to go in on Sundays and my brother and I's job was to peel the potatoes. And there was actually this, this potato peeler. This is kind of a funny story. We used to throw, you know, you throw the potatoes in and it's water and there's like a, um, a sander and, and, and it, you know, they tumble. Mm-hmm. And now Meme and Pepe were at the restaurant all the time. And my Meme was like the sergeant. And when they weren't looking, <clears throat> because you had, you had to, you would peel the potatoes, but you couldn't, you had to eye them. You, yeah. know, you had to take the eyes out. But when they weren't looking, my brother and I would keep it going and then the potatoes would come out like this. <laughs> so we didn't have to eye them. So, so Carol that, with that's her hands like, made a very small looking, <laughs> like a, like a, I don't oh, know. Oh, and like my a, meme used to 
catch us, we used to be in trouble. But anyway. You're peeling so, more than the skin. Yeah, definitely <laughs> more than the skin. Uh, so This is uh, how, this, this is a good conversation to lead into shrinkage, right? <laughs> yeah, right? No kidding. Oh my goodness. And taking apart chicken. Oh my gosh. If you left one piece of meat on those bones, you were in trouble. So um, I love this story and it, it kind of, it honestly reminds me a lot of my own childhood growing up. I don't need to get into it, but especially talking about like potatoes like 50 right. pounds of potatoes every saturday morning buckets and buckets oh of God. them we it have was a lot like in common, oh man so how <clears throat> did you do like reflecting back did you enjoy the work at this point or was it more like were you kind of like a kid kicking and screaming like i don't want to do this but no it was fun you know it, it was fun and then as i got older that, that i was 12 when he um when he started it that was 1976 i i just remember that I don't know why I remember that because I'm not very good with dates, but um, I do remember that. And when I was 14, 15, you know, I started uh, playing on the grill. Mm -hmm. And uh, at 15, now, like I said, they weren't open Saturdays and Sundays. Well, at 15, when I kind of had mastered the, the line cooking part of it, the breakfast and all that, I said to my dad, I went to him and I said, Dad, uh, let's open on Saturdays. He's like, open on Saturdays. Like, well, yeah, why not? Dina, my best friend at the time, is going to waitress and I'm going to cook. And we opened on Saturdays. So uh, we did that for a good couple years. And the routine, you know, when I, she was older than me, so she had her license before me. And we would literally get to the restaurant in the morning. We'd work. I think we closed at noon. And then we'd jump in the car and fly to the beach. Yeah, with a pocket full of cash, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it was that was what it was for a good, you know, couple of years. And and then, I mean, you know, after that, um, let me see. So, Wait, before you get into that, because I kind of asked, and I think I can pull back some more layers. Reflecting back, because I remember being, you know, three years old to thirteen years old, growing up in my parents' restaurant. Like I have very vivid images and memories of the struggle of my parents had owning a restaurant. Did your dad, was it a struggle for your dad too, or was he? I have to say it was not a struggle for my dad. He, he really got into it. Yeah. He loved it. He, he, um, he just grasped everything that my uncle taught him. Um, he, his, his specialty was the recipes and, you know, in the kitchen. Um, my grandmother and my grandfather, like I said, they had a major presence at, at, at the restaurant. And um, what I do definitely remember is my mother not liking it. <laughs> that is very uh, true to my story as well. Yeah. Uh, definitely not liking it. And she was pretty much the front of the house. Yeah. You know, she had her apron on and she was taking care of customers. But clearly my, you know, I, I definitely, all of us remember that part of it for sure. So what? Did your uncle do, if you can, I know it's, we're going way back to 1976, so it's hard for you probably to recollect a lot of the, the little <laughs> details, but knowing what you know about success in restaurants today, reflecting back on what your uncle did to set your, your dad up, your great uncle did to set your dad up well, like what were the lessons he taught that, like, that or their present from the very beginning? You know, it's pretty much the same things as when I opened up the Red Arrow, my dad sat me down and he said... This is what you have to do. And I remember him telling me that Uncle Ray told him these very same things. And it was, all right, you're going to be open, you know, Monday through Friday, whatever it was. You're going to make X amount of dollars. The first thing, you need to pay all your bills. And this is pretty much what my uncle said to him. You first pay your bills. 
everything and whatever's left over is yours. And that's, you know, that's pretty much what my, my uncle said to him. And my dad said the same thing to me. You know, he said, your meals tax is so important. Your, you know, everything, but pretty much you, you know, A plus B equals C. You pay and, and whatever's left is yours. That's a great lesson. And uh, I'm curious, was he, were, like, were they doing things with, like, menu engineering? Were they very particular about the cost of every item on the menu? Like, I don't think so at that time. Yeah. I, mean, I don't remember that part I don't even of it. know when that sort of thing started to become mainstream. I'm curious about that. Like, when did people really start getting formulaic about business? Because sometimes, around this time is around the time I think people would open and be like, well, what do we charge for eggs and bacon? Well, what do they do at the restaurant down the street? Right. Let's do 25 cents less, you right. know, it, which has got us into this mess, I think, over the 30 years. You're probably right. You're probably right. But um, it sounds like you guys were profitable and you were doing well. So I'm curious if he, if, you're, if your great uncle was like a ninja like economist you know, I, knew exactly I what he was doing. don't know the answer to that, but that is a really good question. I'm not sure if... He taught my dad that. I really don't know. I, I don't know. But I, I do know when I also, you know, started the Red Arrow, um, you know, you got your cost, you have to times it by four. And that should be, you know, three to four, depending, tricks. right, yeah. you know. And like you just said, that's really important, gathering menus all around you mm-hmm. and looking at them and, and stuff like that. So, so yes. Land. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you start, I mean – at the age of 16, you're running a restaurant. You you and your friend. You got to have just some one day. stories. Just, that only happened one day? No, no, no. It just, oh, just one day a week. One Saturday. Yeah, because I mean, I was in school. I was yeah, in yeah. high school. That's so. right. That's right. So, I mean, but that's still, imagine today taking a 16-year-old yeah, and I, your 16-year-old friend. I live with a 16-year-old and I cannot imagine this happening. <laughs> and, and and being like, okay, go get him. Like, you're running the show. What What's different about then and now? Why don't we get more young people doing this sort of thing? Oh, you know, I was brought up with a very good work ethic. Yeah. You know, I always say I always worked. You know, I started in the restaurant. I did dishes. I, you know, we peeled the potatoes. We set the hall, all that kind of stuff. So it was just a constant um it was just, I was always working. I even remember, you know, there was, there was a customer that was at Belmont Hall that I used to wait on, you know, uh, her name was Pat and she was the general manager over at Mammoth Mills. Do you remember Mammoth Mills? No. So I'm from the, the Exeter side. I never okay. made it to Manchester often, so I don't really know the area. Mammoth Mills was a department store and I just, I wanted to work there. Like I, even, at, I loved the restaurant, but then Meme and Pepe there all the time and, you know. I, I, I'm probably more the rebellious one in the family. So I'm like, I, I, I want to get a job at Mammoth Mills. Pat, get me into Mammoth Mills. And I, I think I was, I was fif- no, I was 14 when I was asking her that. And she's like, you, you got to be 15. And anyway, I, I did get a job there. Um, you know, and I would do both. I guess I, gosh, I can't even quite remember. I, I must have done both. Because I, I always had my hand into the restaurant. Yeah, it's you know? family business. Yes. They need you, hey, guess what? You're coming to work today. We're short-staffed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely those times. And then then there were times where, and that was, yeah, you know, I was probably 15. and Because we used to have um, baby showers and bridal showers in the hall. And I'd have um, my girlfriend sleep over. That was Cindy. I remember this really well. 
And then after they eat and all that, it's, you know, when the women are opening their presents and all that stuff. So they just needed someone at the restaurant to kind of babysit to make sure that they're okay. who knew what to do. Right. Yeah. We really didn't do too much. That was when we got into the coolers at the restaurant because they sold beer and wine. Oh, man. So, yeah, you should have seen us. We used to we used to be drinking <laughs> 15 years old. And I can remember one time, you know, and then we'd call my dad and he'd come pick us up. You know, it was usually like around nine or something. And, oh, my, and then he had a truck. So we had to like, I was in the middle. So I had to be squished. And we're both like trying to make sure he doesn't, yeah. you know, smell us. <laughs> and, you know, to this day when we've told him this story so many times, we laugh our heads off. He He had no idea. Had no idea. Yeah, you kind of remind no me idea. of my dad right now. And some like when, when I was growing up, he's like, there's nothing you can do that I haven't done worse. So don't even try to pull a fast one on me. <laughs> I kind of feel like you could echo that sentiment to your employees. Like, don't don't pull a fast one on me. Another thing that we used <laughs> to do, and this is so funny because this was um, definitely in high school, Friday night football games at Gill Stadium. And of course, you know, we had keys to the restaurant and – I used to go in there at night with my friends. We used to open it up. And we, I mean, 15, 20 of us, literally. And we would go back in the kitchen. We'd fire up the fry later, fire on the grill. We'd make burgers, <laughs> French fries, all this kind of stuff. And you know what is so funny about that too? My brother used to do the same thing also. And we kind of always missed each other. But we always left it because my dad had a way that he would leave everything. You could see his apron for the next day laid out with his spatula, everything. And we used to leave it exactly that way. So, And to this day, he he never knew that either. Or really? so he says. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I wonder, I mean, because if you're looking at the books, I feel like restaurants in general were run much looser 30 years ago. Oh, definitely. 30, 40 years ago, for definitely. sure. Um, because now I feel like today there would be systems in place. Like you'd be, you'd, you'd go count your inventory and like compare it against right. other days. And like you would know there's, there's systems in place specifically for theft, you know, exactly. to, to control that sort of thing. Exactly. Uh, but just, these are perfect examples of how like your business can take. I mean, I was guilty of the same thing. Like I would go after school to go clean my parents' restaurant and I had friends come with me and hang out with me while I was doing my job and I'd be feeding them. You know, you don't think about <laughs> exactly. it. You just don't, you're exactly. You're like, you're just being hospitable. You're like, oh, like you want, so, you want a muffin? You want this? You want that? And like, you just like, I had a lot of friends because I was always feeding them when I was a kid. I, yeah. I was always surprised at how many people wanted to hang out with me after school at my parents' <laughs> restaurant. But I see it all makes sense now. Yeah. But exactly. like these are just all little examples of the things like you, you don't know where you might think it's an employee and this whole time it's one of your kids. Yeah, you know, exactly. Pulling a fast one on you. But you're right. Then it, it, it was different. It definitely yeah. was different. Like now even I'm not like probably present right now, but, you know, my my son, my baby's 27. So, you know, when he was like. 12 or 13 and you know we'd go to the diner to eat or whatever with his friend you know and uh, of course the friend's not going to pay but I, I say to them you can order what you want but just make sure you're going to eat it don't go crazy ordering you know which again is kind of signs of the times you know you got to watch the food cost don't go ordering stupidly and you know so so what were your biggest lessons i mean before we move on to you kind of breaking away from being under your, your dad's shadow at this first restaurant uh because eventually you, you left you went to the weather vane uh and i'm sure there's probably a lesson or two there but what were the biggest lessons that you got from this time up to this point you know Sheepers. pay all of your bills definitely, definitely pay all your bills, bills. Right. definitely pay all your bills you know work hard you know work hard and it and it pays off 
Um, awesome. That's a great lesson. I think we can leave it right there, right? So what, what eventually brought you to the weather vane? Why, why did you want to get away from your parents? Well, I uh, graduated high school, 1981. And, you know, only because everybody else was doing it, going to college, I, I said, I want to go to college. My father's like, are you sure you want to go to college? I mean, I, I was working at, at the restaurant. And I'm not sure if I was still at Mammoth Mills then. I, I, I can't remember. But so I went, I went to college. I went to Plymouth one semester. <laughs> I'm surprised I made it past my first semester, honestly. But keep going. <laughs> one semester. And literally, I was just doing it because everybody else was doing it. Do you remember your grade point average? Oh, gosh. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't even think I got one. I think Eric. mine was a 1.17. <laughs> yes, I don't even know. You know, so I, I left and, you know, went back home and uh, worked at the restaurant again, you know, picked up pretty much where I'd left off. And then again, the rebellious. I'm like, you know, I started looking for a job. And I'm looking, of course, in, for restaurants. And my father's like, or my mother, well, why aren't you just working at the restaurant? I'm like, because, you know, it's you guys and I want to do something on my own. So I, I got the job. And, and, you know, I had never been on a job interview. You know, it was it was just so it, it, it was so different. So I go to, to the weather vane. I get hired as a waitress. This is your and first serving job. My very first. At, yeah. bit, oh, I was serving at Belmont oh, Hall, were? too. Okay. Yes, definitely. On and off. You know, I, I had done all, you know, from prepping to... Um, and we didn't call it prepping back then. I don't, I don't think that word. Side work, cooking. Yeah. It was just getting ready for the next day or something. You yeah. know what I mean? And this is exactly what I learned at the weather vane. I, I went back. I remember the first day going back home and saying, oh my gosh, dad, they do side work. <laughs> <laughs> what's he's like, what's side work? I'm like, you know, they, you, you, you feel Everything you, you, everybody, every section has different jobs and, you know, you have to do, do your job and, and then your manager checks you out. You know, I'm like, it's so cool. And that, you, that for 1981 is progressive. That, and the weather vane is a brand that I do recognize. I think anybody from New Hampshire knows the name yep. the weather vane. What is the history of the weather vane? How, like, how long was it around even before, for a while before? I, I didn't work there till I graduated in 81, so 82, 83. This was probably like 84, 85. Got it. Um, it I mean, Weathervane, their original one was in Maine, you know, right over the border, Maine. Kittery. Kittery yeah. is their very first one. Um, and and there, was, there was quite a few of them. I mean, I want to say, what, seven or eight of them, maybe? I don't know exactly. I think it was like seven or eight. So again, my memory is not... Uh, I worked at the Bedford one. And, and, and I mean, I just learned so much. I loved my job now. Okay. So I started as waitress. Um, it was great. Two weeks into it, uh, Michael Coulter's, that's one of my mentors. I have two. Michael Coulter's was the general manager there. And I just looked up to him. I just, um, I was like, wow, I, I just, that that's what I want to do. Oh my gosh. What was it about this gentleman that really I knew you were just going to ask me that. Yeah. I you know, again, I think it was my um naiveness of not not really, you know, I mean I I had been in the restaurant business, but I just was learning so much and just watching him, I just I I liked his style, I liked um the way he talked 
you know, to us. What was his style? How did he talk to you? I mean, very, uh, I mean, stern, but respectful, Mm -hmm. you know, two weeks into me being a waitress, he pulls me aside and he says, all right, listen, I'm not sure here. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to fire me. Right. I'm like, oh my God. I really, I had no idea what to expect. It was literally two weeks. And he says, this is, you are not a waitress. He says, you are definitely not a waitress. You are management material. And I'm like, management material? He says, I want you to train under Abby and you are going to be a dining room manager. And I'm like, what's a dining room manager? <laughs> it was just so naive. I, I, it, it, was, it was crazy. It was just crazy. And I, I started training for that. And, and when I did that, started doing that, I can remember just being so in the groove, like on a Friday night, Saturday night, Thursday, Friday, you know, there, were, there was lines. I mean, lines out the door to get into the stinking weather vane. And I literally would pack that dining room. There was never an empty seat. It just flowed. It just, and I I was in my element. I was so in my element. I just loved it. I loved it. I learned, you know, um, cashing out at the end of the night, all the, you know, the waitress stuff. And I I did an equipment order, which, you know, I thought that was like so important. All the, you know. uh, So you're basically doing an inventory and seeing where you're low and bringing things back up. Yeah, like like silver. I did like the all the stuff for the front of the house, basically. Um, But I'm telling you, and I would go back and say to dad, oh, my gosh, dad, you've got to do this and you got to do that. And I would bring along with me because at Belmont Hall, now he's open seven days a week, you know, and, and then says to himself, Remember when we first started and we were only open Monday through Friday? I mean, how crazy was that when you think about it? You know, when I heard that too, it's also another sign of how just over time, how things Sign of the times. You know, and like now we're starting to realize like, it's not good to work seven days a week. True. Now we're starting to go the other way. It's true. And like we're like, we maybe had it better when maybe we had the right idea when we were only open five days a week and we had Saturday and Sunday off. True. You know, and like we're, we're I think we're starting to realize that we're always trying to trying to outwork each other, you know, yeah. and outpace each other and at our own demise. And we're starting we hit a wall. We yeah. got to the point where we just can't do it anymore. And I think we're starting to realize, okay, like it's okay to take time off. It's okay to find time for me. And like it's a good it's it's this is good like contrast to hear this back then, you know, and how far we've come. But now it's like a pendulum kind of starting to swing back. It's the true. Other direction. That is very true. I don't think it's gonna ever it's not gonna go back to not Saturday and Sundays because that's your lucrative you know, yeah. th- that's, I guess, what I mean when I, I more say that, you know, because I mean, Saturday and Sundays, you know, and then, then the holidays, Easter and, and what Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, the hall at Belmont Hall, we used to do a buffet in there. And I mean, just all tables, we take reservations. And that was my thing. Yeah. I worked there and then I go to Weathervane after. Um, it, I, I, again, I... I filled the hall, you know, and I, and I had a rhythm. I just had a rhythm and I just had that knack and I loved it. Yeah. I just, just loved it. Loved yeah. it. And maybe I don't like one thought I had, I want to just get out. Cause I think it's a good thought. Uh, maybe we don't go back to being off Saturday and Sundays, but I was just at Ledger restaurant in Salem, uh, Massachusetts, which is becoming well known for their brunch. 
but maybe it's not a full menu on Saturday or Sunday, right? right. Maybe it's just, just like four items. We're just getting smarter about how to be more efficient it's with time and resources. Like you can open, but just do two or three things really well and be known for those two or three things. Like there's there's a lot of interesting things happening right now. But I want to go back to Michael because uh, you said you liked the, how he made you feel, uh, the, his style. Uh, what would he say to you? How would he talk to you? Give me an example of his approach. Like you said, stern, about respectful. Uh, what else? You know, he... Once I, you know, then he, then he would say to me, he'd say, Carol, you know, you, you can go up here. You, 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 you know, dining room manager is not, you know, and I go, I know, I, w- I want to learn the kitchen. See, this is exactly what and I was hoping you'd bring to the this conversation. This is, you know, how he, 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 what is the word I'm trying to say? He, um, he oh created opportunities. Yeah, definitely. And, and, that, and said, and exactly you can do this, yeah. you know, you can do this. And he, in so many times in my interviews, there's one catalyst, there's one moment where somebody, a mentor, says, you're good at this. And nine times out of ten, we don't know we're good at it until somebody says you're good at it because we're just going through the motions. We don't, we're not really self-aware at that age. you know. And it's so important that as a manager or an owner that if you see somebody who's good at something, you got to let them know we exactly. need guidance. We need direction. Exactly. We need to be steered. And that's what he was doing for you. He was creating opportunities and he's, and he's saying, hey, there's room before this. Like you're on a good – you belong on this path. A hundred percent. And here's the trail to get there. Like when he took me in two weeks into it. I had no idea that's what he was going to say to me. And and you can do you are not you are your management material. And yeah. How did that make you feel? <clears throat> oh my gosh, I felt great. I, I I even so vividly can remember going home and telling my dad that and he's like, Wow. Like you're <laughs> of course kidding. you're sixteen years old running I mean, a, a restaurant on Saturday. No, I was a friend. Well it, I'm talking about when you were Okay, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, like yes. that's like I, that's a clue. But you you know when you grow up in a family business, and I'm sure you can relate to this. Although I was, mine was a lot longer ago. You know, I don't even think we, we didn't, not that I didn't know what a manager was. That's not what I'm saying, but management in restaurant? Like, what? It was just so, it it just was so awakening, (laughs) awakening for me. I, you know, and then then I went into the kitchen and I told him, I want to learn everything. And he started me. I can, have you ever prepped calamari? Yes. Isn't it terrible? It's a pain in work. It's a lot of work. Oh, it, <laughs> a lot of work. And it's, the show. oh my gosh, yeah. that was, that was horrible. <laughs> that I totally remember not liking, but I, you know, and then I got behind, uh, you know, behind the line and I did the fryer. I did the uh, salamander thing. It, just so much fun. So much fun. And I, and I got up to assistant manager. So how long were you at the weather vane before? I mean, you, you started when you were like, you graduate, you graduated. Um, I was probably, 18, 19, 20. I was probably like 21. So a couple of years before. Oh, yeah, right before. Yep. Yeah. So how, when did you know that you were ready to do your own thing? You know, I, um, it, it didn't work that way. It, it wasn't like that. Do you want to go into that right now? Actually, now's a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll kind of unpackage how you became Perfect. a first time restaurateur. Unless there's any other mentor that you want to bring to the surface. Because I, 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 Not you yet. You said one of my there mentors. Is, there okay. is another one, but... We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app 
helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guests. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. All right, so we are back, and we were just getting into you getting this opportunity to open your first restaurant at the age of 23, but at this point, you had already been basically running restaurants for six years, so <laughs> big deal, right? No, but how, how did this opportunity come to you? Okay, so I was at the Weather Vane working my way up. I was in the kitchen at this point, and a family friend uh, came, you know, called me or whatever and said, meet me here. And it was 61 Lowell Street in Manchester, New Hampshire. And I, I had no idea what the Red Arrow was. It was the Red Arrow Diner and it was closed. And so I get out of the car and I'm like, Roger, Roger Bouchard. He says, um, check this place out. I'm like, okay. He goes, do you want it? And I'm like, What? What are you talking about? Like, I'm 23 years old. I don't have money to buy the Red Arrow restaurant, Red Arrow Diner. And and I, I, and this is something that I feel badly about. Like, I never knew of the Red Arrow Diner. I wish I would have paid a little bit more attention maybe to my surroundings a little more. But um, so anyway, long story short, basically, Roger and my dad put up the money. So we bought the building. And so I, and this is how they set it up. They set it up that each of us, a third, a third, a third own the real estate. And I own a hundred percent of the business. That's so a good deal. It basically, yeah, great deal for me. I mean, but you know, <laughs> there comes a lot of responsibility and you know are you sure you're ready for this but and also at the age 23 that's like w- when you do something like this because you have the energy you know you like, are right you know like if you have the courage and the experience to, to take the leap at that age you will outpace most people and you only have like a 10 year window when you have that kind of energy it's true you know it is um, true so i'm I, you know I'm sure it was like drinking from a fire hose, but at the same time, like when else you probably didn't have any kids at this time. I'm assuming not married, no kids, no kids. Like this is the time to go all in. Right. Yeah. We'll just wait in here. Okay. 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 It's kind of (laughs) interesting. 
So, yeah, I mean, I gathered a bunch of friends because it was filthy inside. Like, you know, it was yucky. And a bit, the first time in its history, because the Red Arrow opened in 1922. Okay. I am the fifth owner. And um, it was the first time in its history that it had ever closed. And it was closed for about two years. And, you know, that 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 number sometimes changes with history. <laughs> you know, some people will say it was never closed, and it definitely was because I opened it back up. And some people say it was closed for five years. So I think history sort of, and with the original owner's son, who I'm in contact with still to this day, um, it, it's it's about two years that it had, had been closed. So, uh, you know, we got, I got a cleaning crew in, and we decided to open... I'm pretty sure when we first opened, it was six days a week. And I was in the kitchen and I had one waitress out front and it was um, Francine was my first hire. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was Monday through Friday. And I remember very vividly sitting at counter one and counter two, C1, C2, my dad and I, when he told me exactly what my uncle told him way back when he took over Ray's lunch. Pay all of your bills you pay first. pay your bills first. <laughs> Without a doubt. You make sure you pay that meat man. I remember him saying the meat man. Maybe that was like the highest bill. It must have been. And, you know, and whatever's left over is yours. That's basically what he told me. And, you know, worked on the menu and, and all that stuff. And, you know, and here the, there I was. I just, um, I just started... I, I was running the diner after about, it was two or three years. All of a sudden I'm like, wow, I don't think I like this anymore. This is a real conversation that a lot of people, I, I think, and I'm trying to be, it's weird because the mission statement is to inspire and empower and transform. But I think part of that empowerment is you need to be really honest with, are you going to like this long term? Like exactly. if you can empower somebody by convincing them not to do this, that's saying something. But what get into that? Like what was it that because you're still here, you know, like yep. uh almost thirty five years later, you know, thirty three years later. Nineteen eighty seven. September nineteen eighty seven is when we opened. So yeah, thirty five, right? Yeah, thirty five years yep. later. So like you stuck with it. So what what happened? What what what, what well, was the dialogue? Like? I, I I went you know, and, and I think at the time, because then I was what, twenty three, twenty four, like twenty six. Uh, 25 or 26 still not married no kids and I just remember going to my dad and saying dad I don't like this I think you know again I'm single I'm fancy free I own a business I wanted a party I wanted to go out with my friends (laughs) and I was just like this is a bunch of crap like, this is serious stuff here. Like, yeah. I, I got to be responsible. And, you know, so I went to him and, uh, you know, he's like, listen, wh- what do you mean you don't like it? <laughs> like, what are you talking <laughs> about? You know, um, I don't exact. I don't remember, like, I wish I would remember more details of that conversation because I know we had a couple of them. And next thing you know, uh, it was someone that was working for me. His name was Bill Hazen. And he, uh, he said, I'd like to lease the restaurant. Let me, let me lease the business. So after, you know, back and forth, back and forth, Bill Hazen pretty much took over. And he brought beer into the Red Arrow, which, whew, 
that was um that was very interesting very interesting um i basically would go i even helped him out a little bit i think i worked like a couple of waitress shifts um and bill was a um uh pretty stern not too likable of a guy not that that even really matters at this point but i would go in and collect the rent basically um and my father always said to me you don't go monthly you go weekly with a restaurant right um so uh that's what i would do i would go and collect the rent so um so let's backpedal a little bit because i feel like there's parts of me that want to pull back some layers on uh, negotiating uh terms for ownership i think that you can get really creative. So, I mean, I think you're doing it here once, but you did it earlier. You mentioned that the deal, the original deal was that you would own 100% of the business and your father and um, Roger. Roger. That name sounds familiar. Uh, is he a restaurateur? Was he? No. Okay. Roger Bouchard. Uh, Bouchard. Um, and your father would own one third each of the the, the real estate. The a property. third, a third, a third. Yeah. yeah. Myself. So, I mean, did you do you want to get into that? Like, I mean, it's kind there's of, not a whole lot to I, get into. It though? kind of sounds like they were taking care of you, honestly. Yes, that sounds like a good deal. Yes, you know, you're, I'm sure your father was probably advocating, and like he knows what a good deal looks like. They also, both of them, on opening, put in money to, um, you know, like the dishes and all the the wares of of you know, in the first food order because I I had no money. You know, I mean, I had no money. So that I did, I paid them off, you know, as the years, you know, went on, I paid them off that. Um, but yeah. 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 So as far as like when Bill took it, you know, we, we um, drew up a, you know, I don't know, we went to a lawyer and drew, drew something up that he, you know, he was leasing the business only. Okay. We still own the real estate. Which you owned one hundred percent of the business, Correct. so you didn't need your blessing, the blessing from the father. I didn't, Rogers. but I got it, yeah. and I probably wouldn't have done it if I wouldn't have gotten the blessing. Yeah. Um, so what what did you learn about that process of negotiating? In, in like, where did you learn that this was even an option? If if you do like, because this is an ex, this is an exit strategy, right? You build something up, you create something of value. Uh, you need a backup plan if you don't like it, and if you can start creating exit strategies for yourself, leasing out is an option. That's a one that I haven't heard yet on the show, but get into that. I, you know, I, I don't think it was, I mean, I think, I think more so in these times now it would be, you know, it, yeah, I mean, it is an exit strategy and you can do it. I think then when we did it, it, it wasn't, um, I don't know. It, it, I don't want to say it wasn't a big deal, but, it kind of wasn't a big deal. Yeah. We drew it up, it up and you built the systems. Said, you made the, the X the amount of money you're going to pay me each week. And, um, and we'll take it from there is basically how. So after you left, um, and you were now just collecting a check from this individual, were you doing other things? Were you- I went back to Belmont Hall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was always my go-to. Uh, so I went back now? to Belmont were, were Hall. You serving and working in the restaurant? Yep. Or working serving and working in the restaurant. Okay. Yep. Yep. And that that's basically about it. Then um, then I got married about a year. I got married at 27. Uh, that was in 1990. And um, so I got married, uh, had my first child. He was a special needs child. So I, he became my full-time job. Um, that was Jesse. And um, then my husband, he, um, he got laid off from Raytheon. He had a great job. He got laid off at Raytheon, 
We weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, and so now we're talking, yeah, seven, eight, nine, 90, we got married. So yeah, Jesse was born. So it was probably like 93 and it, it, it didn't look good for him going back to work at Raytheon. So we said, you know what? Um, you know, he says, why don't, what if I take over the restaurant, the diner? And I'm like, yeah, you think? Yeah, let's do that. So, and again, you know, I, and this is another, um, I, I really cannot remember big details about that. I know with Bill, he had, he had been um, not really paying. Like, you know, he was probably like a couple months behind. And so, so there were some issues there. Visits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, visits with no money, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So it, w- it was pretty easy to kind of get him out and, you know, move. Well, were there terms to the lease where like if you're so many days behind? Yes, like, exactly. We, we, we had that all right to, in a, yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it it was pretty easy to get him out. And I mean, he he did put up a little bit of a fight, but it, it, it wasn't too bad. So he's out. Now my husband is in. Okay. I am, I'm busy with Jesse. Jesse had 12 doctors at Children's Hospital. So literally going to Boston two, three Your times son, a week. Jesse. My son, Jesse. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was it. He ran, he ran the diner. And what was that transition like? Like, where did you bring the Red Arrow? When the point where you you hand it off in 1987, because now five years has go, has gone by mm-hmm. approximately, did did the culture shift? Did the system shift? Did, did the quality shift, or did, was that maintained? Uh, no, no, it definitely had shifted to not a good with with Bill there. Yeah. It, it, you know, he he kind of kept the same menu, but quality. No, he would you know cheapen it. Mm. You know by you know, cheaper meat or cheap, you know, just not good grades. And he definitely didn't keep it up. He definitely didn't keep it up. So, you know, uh, again, my dad had a lot, you know, a lot to do with it. He helped a lot with, you know, with Kevin, my husband. And, um, yeah. And, and although then, because again, Jesse was my full-time job. I really was not in the diner too, too much. I was, I was pretty much home with him. And then I had, I had my second child, Tyler, um, he was born in 94. And okay, so Kevin had been there a couple of years. He brought in, remember when gambling was around uh, in restaurants, like no. out back, you know, like the poker machines? I mean, I didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I don't yeah. think I broke into that. Uh, I was a little See, that after was, that. That was a long time. Yeah, right. So, well, that 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 happened a lot. And um, my 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 ex, he's my ex now. Um, we're leading right up to that. Uh, yeah, he brought that into into the the, the diner, and um, ugh, I mean, it, it seemed to be good at first. <laughs> if that could even be good, what's going right? on? Like, is this like for, with the staff and employees, or is there a back room that nobody knows about where there's you know blackjack is being played, or like there's poker being? played? It was behind the scenes. Okay, yeah, Got behind it. the scenes, um, and yeah, so. Long st- well, long story short, where we're telling the story, I get that. Um, basically, and and also, and I, I'm you know I'm not going to go into that with him, him and me, but um, we were done. We, we were we were done. You at know, this point. It, at this point, and, I'm like I, I you know. So he's I, running the restaurant. Your your romantic relationship is has come to an end. You're still a partnership, parenting partners, right? Because yes, 
Yes. But as far as the the marriage, but he's still now he's but, your business partner, which makes it a little more complicated. Well, and that was a big thing with the divorce and what it ended up being. You know, we went back and forth quite a few times. Um, we lived actually up on Lowell Street. We bought the house that I um, grew up in. Um, and uh, I'm not a materialistic person. He is. Um, so I was able to um, say, because he wanted the diner. And I'm like, you ain't getting the diner. You, you married into it. Like, yeah. it, it's mine. You, you, you married into it. It's not. It was, it was, I mean, literally on paper, I'm sure it has your name on it. You're probably yes. your maiden name on it. Correct. Yes. So he, you know, I mean, but we went back and forth. Finally, I said, you take the house. I don't want the house. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to take the house. You take the house. The diner's mine. And that's basically how we ended it. So I got the diner back. And Uh, (laughs) I take the house. At this point, your party years are kind of behind you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, and I moved into an apartment. I moved into an apartment condo with the kids. And, um, and you know, so now, now Jesse is, uh, yeah, he, he must be, well, they were in school. So I had my days, you know, um, things maybe had lightened up a little bit as far as, you know, going back and forth to the hospitals and stuff like that. So I was able to go back into the diner and that was when, you know, I, I just, I came back and with a vengeance really. Before you you talk about your vengeance, your come your comeback, talk about the 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 issues with having illegal gambling in the back of your restaurant. Oh well, that that ended. I mean, that was well, yeah. But um, I mean, did that bring trouble? It did. We'll get into. It. I feel like there, there must be lessons if, if you ha- <laughs> if you're thinking about doing shady stuff. What are the reasons not to do? Shady well, when stuff? you start doing shady stuff like that, then you don't pay certain bills mm-hmm. and you start getting greedy. And, um, yeah, there was, um, big bills that were not being paid that I was left with. That was the biggest lesson your dad taught you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I was busy. Of course, now my excuses, right? I was busy with, with, um, Jesse. I, I thought that he was doing what he should have been doing, I guess, you know, naive. And, uh, yeah, it took me a few years to get, um, you know, did you ever run into trouble with that? Did you, were, were you discovered? Were you caught? Uh, no, no, okay. no, no, not with, with that, with him just not paying some bills. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about the clientele that you attract when you start doing stuff like this? Is it attract kind uh, of shady characters? Sort of. You know, people were doing it. it. I'm not saying it was like a normal thing. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it was, wasn't unheard of. It was kind right. Yeah. There we go. So, um, not really, not really. Um, no, not really. Yeah. I have to say. Um, was it, what was it like having this brand that you own is you're the you know proprietor of the brand of the business? Uh, what is it like when other people go in and don't kind of have it and operate it with the same integrity as you? What's that like? Were you emotionally attached to the space? Did you have a sense of identity or were you, you mentioned that you were kind of done with this. Maybe you just didn't really care as much. I, I, I didn't when Bill had it. Yeah. I just was like, eh, you know, then when my husband had it, you know, um, when I realized what was happening, then I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is bad. This yeah. is really, really bad. Give and, me an example of what bad looks like. Paint that picture of where it was and where you've brought it. It was, it was, um, 
we owed a lot of money. Do you remember how much? It was like uh, 70000 That's a lot. Yeah. Meals tax. The one that my dad said that doesn't never here's, to ignore. Here's the way you look at tax. That money isn't yours. Exactly. Uh, I use I use profit first. I don't know if you've ever heard of that approach where they actually say you take your profit first and you pay everybody after. But they do it in a way that's really interesting. They say, what do you need? What is your bottom line? What do you need to, to exist, to pay your bills, to not have any issues personally? Take that. And then what's left over determines what you actually can do. And so it's a way to keep you lean. But also, as soon as you get paid, you get paid a dollar, 10 cents goes to profit, 20 cents goes to taxes, 8 cents goes to meals tax. So immediately, once you get paid, the money's going to where it belongs, but you include your profit. And then everything else goes there too. Okay. So this is a way to make sure that the whole point of having a business is to earn a profit, right? So, but the point is that you 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 allocate cash flow when you when you get it, and I think that's the key part is when you get the money, it goes to where it belongs. You know, you pay your bills, you pay your taxes. As soon as you get paid, I think that's where people get messed up is they just they don't pay everything right away, so it just accrues into this account, and they're just looking at this big lump sum. They think I have all this money, but the truth is you only have like thirty percent of that money because True. you owe everybody else. True. So. That's the business-minded person that thinks like that. But the person that is a gambler and is not responsible, they just see it as a big lump of money. Yeah. Like, oh, man, cash, I am rich. Cash flow management. Huge. Seriously? Yeah. I, you know, so it, it, it took a while. Um, I, I became very good friends with uh, the um, – I wish I could remember his name. You know, the head of the meals tax at that time. and Because, I, I, I mean, I just remember my father saying – the meals tax. <laughs> then it was the meals tax that he wasn't paying, and it was like, oh my gosh. What happens if you um, don't pay your meal tax? Why is that the most important one? Well, it, they can shut you down. Yeah. I mean, they definitely can. You know, he um, he would say, you know, he would talk to them, I guess, and set up a payment plan, and then he would wouldn't do it, and it, you know, it was just it was it was a mess. So yeah. I had I went and I had to spill. Here I am. You got to work with me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what we did. How so, long did it take you to get that 60000 paid off? Oh, man. I, You know, honestly, I, I – see, I wish I was – I wish I would have paid more attention to that kind of stuff. That's one of my challenges is not – I wish I would have been a better keeper of the history mm-hmm. of the diner, you know? Um it, it it was a few years. Yeah, well, it was a few years. Some, but the government, they will work with you, and it, he and he did. Yeah, and he don't definitely avoid, did. The last thing you want to do is avoid. Is avoid. You, they, they they want you talking. They and, will work with you, yep. and the the more you avoid, the less likely they are to work with you. Yep, so if exactly. you get in trouble, we're all human. We we all been there. Don't ignore your taxes. Hundred percent. Because they, I mean, I've been there personally. Um, I I couldn't pay my taxes on time this, in twenty twenty. Because I thought that I was going to be making much more money. And all of a sudden, COVID hit. And my sponsors were like, oh, never mind. We're not going to sponsor you this quarter. That's no hard feelings towards them. I totally understand. But it's easy to get in trouble as a business owner because you expect cash flow. And any disaster can happen. And all of a sudden, you you don't have the money to pay your taxes. That's why when you get – ever since the beginning of 22, I get paid a dollar. 20 cents is going to my checking account and the money is always there now because it's not my money. You have to get that into your head. Yep. For sure. Yeah. 
Um, sorry, I was a little oh, bit of a rant. That's all right. That's uh, good. <laughs> so, uh, so we, we're definitely pulling out some some lessons here. You decided to take back over the restaurant. What was your first plan of attack when you're, this is the baby's yours again? It is mine. So I I went all in, and <laughs> um, and then that that actually I think it was. The other thing too, when we decided to go twenty four seven, it was I think Kevin is the one that that brought that back to life because back in the day it was twenty four seven. So at this point now we're twenty four seven. Um, and and you know I, I went back in um, and just uh, started cleaning things up and doing doing my thing and and that was kind of around the time too that. Um, uh, it started getting a little bit of notoriety, and that's when I was kind of like, "God, we we got something." Like I I started paying attention to, I mean, working there and customers coming in. You hear so many stories. I mean, you go to the Red Arrow if you sit there for even six hours at the counter, you will you will hear. So much stuff about my uncle used to work here and my brother and my cousin and my best friends. This was, I mean, there's, everybody has a story about the Red Arrow. So now I think I'm growing up. So I'm starting to listen to these stories and it, I'm like, wow, this is, you know, this, this restaurant is, it, it has a lot of history and people love the Red Arrow. They just, they love the Red Arrow. So I also, at the time, uh, you know, and because I mean, I've been interviewed many, many times with all the politicians that have come in, and, and this is about that time where they, they, back in that day, like around that time, it was uh, the Merrimack Restaurant on Merrimack and Elm, kind of where the corporate office is, right on that corner. Uh, that's where all the politicians went. Okay. Um. Don't ask me dates because I'm not going to know. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> well, Merrimack Restaurant closed. That was like a big deal too in the in the city. And again, I, I don't remember the year that was. I wish I could. But that was – so that's when the politicians kind of – You got a wave of new clientele. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, they'd call and say, you know, can so-and-so candidate come in? It's like, yeah, Sure. Of course, you know, like, oh my gosh. And then, so politicians are coming in. I mean, Adam Sandler's dad was a regular there. Um, he, he. A regular at the Red Arrow or the Milford? No, no, no. Red Arrow. Mac, okay. No, 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 no. Uh, Red Arrow, got Manchester, it, got it, got it. the Manchester location. And so he was in there a lot. And, um, and then, you know, celebrities started. Con- it, it was just, and, and I'm like, that's when I got I got to um, what am I trying to say? Um, I learned the taste of marketing and what marketing can do, and it, I mean I was just like I was fascinated by it, like things like like you know when you open up a restaurant and you have your special board. Mm-hmm. I literally we we got really crazy with certain specials. Anything that we put on that special board would sell like crazy stuff. We, we developed a, a, or we created a hash brown special and then we would 
it would be a, the hash brown special original was, um, you know, hash browns with grilled onions and, and ham. And you would scramble it up and it could be served with two eggs, toast and coffee, you know, whatever. And then we were like, well, let's do a hash brown special with chili. Oh, well, let's do a hash brown special with, um, you know, um, sausage. Let's do, just, we, we started doing all these crazy things. And, you know, I would, I would talk to dad and say, dad, you got to try it. Like, it sells. Like, I couldn't believe whatever I would put up there would sell. It was crazy. And then I started doing a newsletter. I did a newsletter. Was um, it an email newsletter? No, no, not email. No, it was, uh, I printed it off. Okay. And uh, one of my really good customers, God rest his soul, he has passed, Dr. Goodman. He's an eye doctor. And he loved the diner. I mean, I mean, just so many people that I've met over the years. I mean... He's one of them. I'll. He's in my menu, and he'll always be in my menu. Um, Doc Goodman's uh, pastrami is Doc Goodman, and he used to write an article in the newsletter, and uh, it was he. He's the one that said, "Let's do it. Let's do it." You know, um, we had so much fun. So no, I would. Li- I would print them off, and an all colored paper, and then they they'd get them. And, and some of them I would mail too. Yeah, no, I mailed well, how them. How else would they get them if you're? Well, they'd pick them up at the diner okay, too. Got it, got it. But no, we did have a database, and I would mail them. It wasn't email then. But I mean, this is like the beginning of this. So when it, I'm, I'm assuming this is mid to late nineties, it must early be two thousands. Yeah. Um, but the basics of just creating a database, a list of develop, maintaining a relationship with your your customers, and keep staying top of mind. And what was that? What was the strategy behind this? How would what would you do to bring people in? I, they, they came, you know, even my dad was like, wow, you're busy. Like, you know, it just, I don't think I never took it for granted, but you know, the red arrow name, it just, it, it, it's nostalgic. It has, it is. Yeah. It's very old timey. It is. The brand is great. People just, you know, they, they, they always gravitated to it. And then I, I got involved with, um, I, I heard about this guy. He lived in Rhode Island. Randy Garbin. He's a diner guy. I think it might have been um, Doc Goodman that maybe told me about him. Anyway, I started following him. And he had a magazine, Roadside Magazine. And um, actually, okay, this is in like uh, 97. 97 when I discovered Randy Garbin. And next thing you know, I get an email from him. And he tells me he visited my diner. I, I mean, I, I worshiped this guy. I, I read all his magazines. I was a subscriber, you know, the whole bit. And he visited my diner. I, I'm like, you didn't tell me? Like, what? what <laughs> I wouldn't like to meet you. Yeah. Email, right? Um, and then we talked on the phone. And he said to me, he goes, you know, he goes, you got it going. He says, you, I mean, your food is great. I love the atmosphere. He went into the, you know, the, the fun thing about the diner is, you know, when they ask to go to the bathroom, it's in the kitchen, right? And, um, you know, he's like, just the different quirkiness of it, you know, and just different things that I had incorporated, like, you know, to go to the bathroom, we have arrows on the ceiling. And whenever anybody asked where the bathroom is, they're supposed to respond at all four locations. Now, four locations. Follow the arrows on the ceiling to the bathroom. Just stupid things like that. And yeah. I just, I made sure that when we, you know, um, copied this, you know, when we started Milford, 
that that was all going to be in place. You know, all this quirkiness stuff. Um, have have a diner day. That was like my mantra. I got that from Randy Garbin. That was just part of my. I went. So, so what he said. Let, let me just finish with what Randy said. He said, "I loved your diner, all the aspects of it." He goes, "But I won't be back." I go, "What do you mean you won't be back? What does that mean?" He goes, "The smoke. It it, it it's horrendous." It is horrible. And, you know, when you picture the Red Arrow Diner in Manchester, we only see 36. We had two smoke eaters going all the time. Smoke eaters? Smoke, they're called smoke eaters. Oh, smoke eaters. eaters. Got it. Smoke eaters. Like fans? Yes, that would suck in the, the cigarette smoke because that's, yeah. you know, I mean, and I'm not a smoker. I never smoke. So I never really, there would be certain times that I wouldn't take the kids in because it, there was a lot of smoke. Yeah. You know, um, you'd have the guy sitting at the counter and he'd be just, you know, he'd have his coffee and his cigarette and just cigarette after cigarette after cigarette, coffee, coffee, coffee. So anyway, so Randy Garvin said, um, you know, he said, I, I won't go back because the smoke is just way too bad. I mean, and, this is definitely circa late 90s, early 2000. This was a big to do around this time. This is when. 97. Yeah. 98, actually. Now we're into the beginning See, we, of 98. Because it was, was that when the, they mandated smoking sections? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Um, so Randy Garbin, he promoted smoke-free diners. I mean, he, he tried to get the owner to go smoke-free. Yeah. I'm like, what diner is going to go smoke-free? I'm like, are you crazy? Like, I can't go smoke-free. What do you, like, what do you mean? And then he started giving me statistics. And then I started reading up on it. And at the time, one out of four people smoked. I'm only I'm catering to that one person. Yeah. Like really? There's three people. And I would I would also have quite a few people, friends, family, you know, whatever, customers that would say, you know, we love the diner, but I I can't bring my kids in because of the smoke. It's yeah. just so bad. Yeah. It it's really bad. I even remember one time um being home when Kevin was there and said, Can you bring me home a piece of pie or something? And you taste you tasted smoke in the pie. Yeah. And Disgusting. And it's weird because when you're in that environment, when you're in, you don't notice it because right. it's like, it's just present. But it, that smoke gets all over everything. Gross. Yeah, it's, it's like gnarly. gross. So yeah. anyway, I, so Randy's telling me all this and I'm like, I got to do this. This is like a win-win situation. What, what am I doing? So I went to my dad, mentor number two. He's, he's, he's really, he, I mean, Mike Coulter's definitely got me in the beginning and, and then it's my dad. So, you know, there's, there's been now throughout all these years, there's a lot of back and forth with my dad all the time. So uh, I go to him and I say, dad, I'm going to go smoke free. He's like, what are you freaking crazy? Like, <laughs> w- w- why? And I start shooting off the statistics and he's like, Carol, no, 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 no. You, you can't do that. I go, well. You know what? It was the first time that I I didn't listen to my dad. Like I always, he'd say something and he'd say, no, I don't recommend that. And I'd listen to him and I wouldn't do it or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I, um, so my next, my next phone call, uh, well, that was in person, but then I made a phone call to um, John Clayton. You know, John Clayton? No, I don't. He was a, he is a, he runs now the um, Historical Society here in, in Manchester and he was a union leader columnist, and he was a pretty famous one. But people know him. He knows he knows history of Manchester and New Hampshire, and you know really really well. And um, great guy. So I called John Clayton, and I go, John, 
It's Carol, Red Arrow. He goes, hey, how's it going? I go, good. I go, listen, um, I need to ask you a question. I'm going smoke-free at the diner. And, and he goes, what? He goes, are you nuts? And I can hear him typing. <laughs> I go, well, I, I am doing it. I have already made that decision. And uh, you are the deciding factor on when I'm going to go smoke-free. I felt I really had, a, a, you know, like my leverage. This was when I really got the taste of marketing, the, you know, like real marketing. So he's, I go, I, I, want to, I want you to put me in your Monday column. So tell me the date you can do that, and that will be the day that I am uh, going to go smoke-free. He goes, Carol, wh- are you sure? Like, I go, John, I've already, yes. He goes, you're, you're going to go out of business. I go, no, I'm not. I'm like one out of four. I mean, I must have said that to so many different people. Oh, my gosh. So he goes, well, um, Monday. I go, this coming Monday? He goes, you know, I don't, I don't remember what day it was, but it was less than a week. Say yeah. it was like a Wednesday or something. And he goes, yeah, yeah, Monday, Monday. I'm like, okay, Monday morning, 6 a.m. is when I'm going to go smoke free. And you're, you're, the paper's going to come out that day. He goes, yep. He goes, I'll set. Okay, see you later. Yep, bye. Boom. I announce it at the diner. <laughs> this is what I'm curious about because you have some regulars, I'm sure, that were you ripping butts. You have no idea, Eric. It was... It was chaos. It would, they were picketing out front. I had people threaten me like, I will never walk back. And I'm like, sorry. Okay. I mean, what, what can I do? Yeah. Like, you know, but people, oh man, I, oh, I got letters. I got, it, it was, it was crazy. It was really, really crazy. So, um, so that Did Monday. Your numbers hurt up for like, were, like, are uh, you kidding? I mean, Wait till you hear this. Let's say this. This is all like this media around this. Now everybody who's not a smoker is like, let's go there. So I was the second person, the second business, restaurant business in New Hampshire that went smoke free. It was just a month or two before the back room restaurant went smoke free. That's another kind of famous um, restaurant here yeah. in the city. Uh, it's been around for quite a few years. They went smoke free. Um, so I was just a little bit after that. And uh, so it was a big deal. It was a it was a wicked big deal. So that morning, now I, I'll never forget either because I was it, it was at the condo and I was with the, the you know I had the two kids and I remember my manager waking me up that morning and saying, "Holy shit!" <laughs> sorry, can I? <laughs> sorry, far worse has been said. Okay, fine. okay. She's like, "Holy shit! You got to pick up a bunch of union leaders. You're not even going to believe it. You are smack dab right on the front page, like the top half of the paper." I go. What? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. Like, uh, uh, so, you know, um, get in the car, whatever, kids to school, whatever was up that morning. And I get to the, to the diner. And yeah, I mean, smack dab. And um, literally, uh, right away, even within the first week or say the first month, my sales went up. Uh, after a year, my sales went up nine percent. Um, my um, uh, what was I just going to say? Oh my Your gosh, numbers just, were good before this. Yes, yes. You know? So like my the, coffee sales went down. Well, because all the smoke. <laughs> but the, how much money are you making on coffee? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it was just weird how you how you looked at it, and it just went to prove what yeah. Randy said. That guy's just sitting there 
Smoking and drinking your coffee. Yeah, Smoking really and drinking your coffee. Money on right. Your, your profitable Eggs. You items. want that stool to be turned over. You want that butt in the seat to eat. And yeah. then when that butt is done eating. You don't want butts eating, and trays. You want butts in right. the seats. <laughs> so it, it was just, it was amazing. It, it was, it was amazing. Um, I definitely pissed off a lot of people. I mean, definitely. And, and you know, the funny thing, the funny thing is, um, uh, you know, the people that, threatened to never walk in there ever again you know four or five years later they're walking in like this yeah. <laughs> hiding you know it was it was hilarious it was just um what's the lesson here wow what's the lesson oh and one other thing i have to say too before we get into that my dad who said there's no way all right that happened in may of 98 my dad went smoke free at belmont hall January 1st. Okay. <laughs> Which is hilarious. I'm like, dad, you got to do it. Like yeah. you got to do this. Um, the lesson, um, I guess, you know, it's funny because when I look back on that, I, I don't know if it was, um, I mean, I, I, I really, you know, I worshiped Randy Garvin, um, even before he started talking to me about statistics. Um, did he ever come back? Yes. Okay. Oh gosh, yes, yes, many times. Um, and uh, you know, gosh, those times were just amazing. I mean, uh, the, some of the lessons that come to my mind, like one of the big lessons that comes to my mind, is this idea of embracing change. And uh, I, I like to echo Restaurant Unstoppable's mission statement: inspire, empower, transform the industry. This is the transformation part. And I think that if you can transform the restaurant industry, you can transform the world because restaurants lead the way. So it's up to us to make hard decisions, to do the hard thing if it's what's best for everyone and that society will follow in our footsteps. But we have to be the ones to make those hard changes. So we have to – sometimes it's scary. Like what's going to happen if I make this change? Am I going to lose all my – all my regulars, but I think at the end of the day, it's important for us to recognize what's wrong with the world. Too many people were smoking, too many people were secondhand smoking, but not by even choice. Like this is what's best for all of us. And we need to make decision, embrace those changes, be the, be the person to take the, the leap. If it's the right thing, because those are, that's conscious capitalism. That that's, that's businesses that are, are in business for the right reasons to, to be influencers. And when you are those people, like the, the the public will take note and be front and center about it. Like like you were like announce it, broadcast it. People who want change, that's your target market, and they're going to embrace it. Yep. I mean, people came from all over to to the diner when we were in the paper like that. You know, and that was when people read the paper. You know, people don't really read the paper anymore. But it it, it was it was it was amazing. I mean, it was just it. it it was amazing. I mean, so like, what's this look like now? Right? Like, where are these opportunities now? Like, what comes to mind? Like, where are these opportunities to do the right thing, the hard thing, but might be the right thing? Can you think of anything? Like, what to do? Like, what 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 a big change would be right now? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Wow. That might be like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this, but if I do, it might attract a whole new set of clientele or a whole new, you know, it might align our brand with a, a good cause. It might influence change. It's like the, what comes to my mind is like recyclables, like zero, like zero car, uh, carbon footprint and yeah. things like that are hot topics right now that shit, my operational costs are going to go up, 
but there are, I'm one of these people. I will go to places that I know that has, has safe packaging. Cause I think that climate change is a real issue. Yeah. Pollution is a real issue. You know, uh, there's, there, these things are happening today too. So they're, they're out there. What, what's going through your mind as I say this? Um, I'm not sure yeah. what's going through my mind. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, Eric. Okay. <laughs> I'm speechless. Do you agree or disagree? I, I do agree. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. You are right. Um, you know, I'm older too now. So, you know, I, I think if the older me was then, I don't know if I would have done it. You know, I was young. I was like a little cocky, of course. And, and, and especially when my dad said, don't do it. I was like, well, I'm doing it. <laughs> That's it, you know? And, and maybe, you know, I mean, imagine if it didn't go well. But, I, you know, the statistics told the story. Yeah, numbers really. don't lie. Numbers don't lie, yeah. exactly. Uh, so I am curious, and we kind of glossed over this. Um, when you took over and you, you said that Kevin kind of let the re- restaurant kind of disarray, like it kind of wasn't where it was when you when you left it. What was that process of bringing it back, injecting life back into it? Did you change to do ad systems like what was that evolution because you said that like over time like after two years things started to pick up you had something so there was a change that took place it didn't even take that long really i mean i just i got more i i got i guess i got into it you know i really got into it i you know special boards and just started incorporating different quirky little things like i mean we back in 1987 or whatever it was 93 your heart wasn't in it Correct. But the second time around, like you were, you were kind of, you were ready. I was ready. And you treated it differently. Yes, very what, much so. What things were you doing differently this time? Um, I, w- I, w- I, was pr- I was present also. I mean, not that I wasn't present, but present, like really present. Listening to people, um, hearing all the stories and, and, and really realizing what exactly I had here. Mm. Like, wow, can't take this for granted. You know, I'm very, very lucky that it's going this way, you know. Um, it, yeah, it, it – um, Did you start doing things differently? Did the did you make changes in the operation? Did you improve systems? Did you – I mean, we um, – you know, I, I guess I was just um, – you know, like I said, we, we would change – we'd have, you know, we incorporated uh, blue plate specials, which were actually served on an actual blue plate. So uh, that that was fun sourcing blue plates out, and then for the kids, you know, I wanted it to be like a family friendly kids, you know. So um, we had a diner doodle contest, which still is in every diner to this day. Um, and the diner judge calls the house and says, "You know, Kimmy won this week's <laughs> diner doodle contest." Who's the diner judge. It's one of the wait staff, okay. you know, usually the front end wait staff, you know, and they call. I used to do the calling. Well, it was only one diner, so I always did it. And and um, it, it, it I and then I would have I'd have like my friends. They'd call me and go, listen, do you know how many times we've been to the flipping diner and my kid has colored this diner doodle? Can you make them win this week? <laughs> yeah, like they're kids. <laughs> Come on. We just want to like. I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course I can make that happen. No problem. <laughs> but what happens when you do this? Like, what is the effect of this? What's happening when you're... Well, like I just said, 
they called and said, do you know how many times we've been in there? Yeah. Like, so it, it's the power of marketing, you yeah. know? Um, the kids also, <laughs> this is funny. So I wanted the ki- kids have their own menu. So they had, they had a, you know, their own menu, kids menu. And I wanted the kids to have their own blue plate. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got it. We are going to do, um, we're going to have a blue plate special for the kids. And it was a blue Red Arrow Diner Frisbee flipped over with the paper in it nice. and that's what they would serve it in and they could take it home that's cool so i mean just fun fun things like that yeah that having we did. fun with it and but also just engaging on a different level bringing your people in on it so it's not just us and you it's we and like and making them feel special yes you know? like making kids win or helping kids win every kid wants to win and now they're gonna have a childhood memory associated with yes. the restaurant and their 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 customer for life i get, i mean I get stories like you know you know my son was so excited when the diner judge called yes yeah. like, that's a big deal for a little kid heck? it's just so funny for sure. and then I mean you must know about when you go into the diner and the wait staff should always ask unless you're a regular um have you ever been to the diner before? do you know about that? no, you don't know about that. Oh wait. man! Oh wait, like specifically with you or the the, the like you? Picture? If you've never been to the diner and you go in, they should always ask. If you're not a regular there, they should ask you. Yes, I'm, have you ever been to the diner? And then you go no, and then you're like, okay, hold on, you know, and then you're like, what the heck does that mean? You yeah. know, um. So then at some point when she feels it's the good time, uh, that's when we. Have the bell. You haven't heard about the bell? No. I need to come in. I feel really embarrassed right now. Oh, my gosh. I try to do just a little bit of research so so it comes out naturally in the interview. I swear. Eric, it's... Now I feel bad. It's it's getting (laughs) de-virginized at the Red Arrow. That's what it is. So what happens is we have two bells. Actually, Manchester only has one bell because it's a small location, but the other ones have two. And the waitress at one point will... Go and start ringing the bell, like really loud. And then she says, can I have your attention, please? I just want to let you know that Eric from, and and if it's in New Hampshire, okay, so Eric, let's say it's Eric from Manchester, New Hampshire, has never been to the diner before. Give him, Let's give him all a hand. And everybody starts, you know, woohoo. I mean, it, it's this major thing. And when it's Manchester or, or Londonderry, somewhere close, they, they'll like get mad. You know, they're, they're like, like what, what the heck? You've never been in the freaking diner? You know, it's just, it's hilarious. And people bring people in just to have that done to them. Cause you know, they'll come in and, you know, the people that know what's going to happen and they're with a virgin, right? And they're like, you know, I'll say to the waitress, hey, they've never been here before. And it's just, it's hilarious. One time there was two nuns there. Oh, it was so funny. You should hear one of the nuns is like, what? it was actually, I'm sorry, it was three nuns and one of them had never been there and they said, uh, she's never been here. And it was hilarious. But it's engaging. It was, and then they get a sticker. Yeah, but it's engaging on a different level and people, when you can bring people in on it, now you, you can make people like the, you're regular, they're in on the joke. Right? Exactly. So there's I love it. Social things that happen here that... You just you're pulling on the strings of hearts and you're making it fun you're, and you're engaging on a different level. And really, what you're doing is you're you become a master of the program. You're a programmer putting together programs. The the you know the the special program, the the blue plate program, the 
first time down Everything. the program. Yeah. And these are engaging. These are rituals. These are cult. This is culture. These yeah. are rituals yeah. and people need ritual and culture. We, it's a part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. And there's a lot, there's a big void of that in today's society. We're hungry for it. So if you can be that, if you can provide culture and ritual and make people a part of something, that's powerful. They're going to come back. No fun. That's Just, huge stuff. It, it was just so, so fun. Just so fun. People yeah. love it. They love it. Um, so we have to talk about scaling because this is the, the Red Tiners you mentioned has been around since 1952. 22. 1922. Um, We're coming on our, this year owner. is our 100th anniversary. Was it always one location? For Until my, you, no, there was, there was actually five in its time. In its time. When was that? It started around uh, the, the, 1930s um the first one was um elm street which is was really right around the corner from the original location uh then there was merrimack street and then there was um lake ave and then there was um hooks at road that one was a cafeteria style yeah all in manchester and which location is one that you bought I bought the the first one and the original one, which is the only one. Elm Street. No, Sorry. Lowell Street. Lowell Street. Lowell Thank Street. You. Lowell Street. Um, so there's a lot of history there. Um, and then the other four locations closed and then the original stayed. Yes. Uh, and then you've since brought back to four total locations. Yeah. So that's pretty great. It's you it's know, it's you, awesome. That's a, it's gonna it be really a, is. A, a badge of honor. Uh, do you want to say something? Well, be, I also, because, um, you know, this is a big part of my story also, is I am in touch with the original owner. Okay. Not not the husband, who pretty much was the one that was running it, but his wife and his and their son, Ray. His wife has since passed, um, Mabel. So she was like, you know, she was the matriarch of, of the diner. And she, uh, in 2000, uh, Ray calls me and says, um, all right, mom's turning 100. Wow. 100. You know, and I had met her over the years. Uh, oh, actually, when we were voted, uh, or um, um, so even she would have had been twenty two when they purchased it. If that's the yeah, case. right, that's crazy young people. She, um, uh, we we became a landmark with the historical society, and you know, it was a big dinner to to go, and I could bring a guest, and I brought Mabel Lamontine wow. with me. It was amazing. What was that like? It was amazing. She, I mean, it. At this point, this it was right before she turned a hundred, so her faculties were there, but you know, a little, a little funny. As good I as they could be for a hundred, right? Give her some credit, you know. Um, I, I mean, she she loved being there and people coming up to her, and you know, it was just it was just such an honor for me to bring her and actually be there because it's it's them that started it. Yeah, but you know, being a part of that legacy, you know, and seeing that your work live on beyond you <clears throat> must be a very special thing. Yes. You know, I always give, you know, credit to the Lamontines because, you know, they're on the back of my menu too. You know, the quality and consistency that the Lamontines began in 1922 is what we strive for every day. Yeah. You know, and I'm always at any big, so Ray called me and said, mom's turning a hundred and um, I want to do her birthday party at the diner. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Perfect. All right. That is awesome. Well, what do I do? You know, it was like on a, you know, in a month it was on a Saturday at noon or something. Oh gosh, that's right. And that day too, wait till you hear this. Um, so of course, what did I do? I called the media. Right? Yeah. I'm like, hello. You know, called Channel Nine and called um, uh, Union Leader and Hippo and you know all that stuff. And uh, 
that day was amazing. I mean, she sat at booth one, two, three, four, booth four facing. So, uh, I mean, the people that came for that were like people that used to work there mm. and remember her husband and all that. And it, it was just, day. it was amazing. For her. Ama- you know? Yeah, it was amazing. And, and that's what this industry is all fam- about, yeah. is, is cr- making people feel special. Yeah. And you're truly, from these stories, you're, that's your talent. I can pick it's up It's so you. fun. It's just so fun. It, there's um, no better feeling. You're right. There's you're no right. better feeling. You know who else visited that day? Who? You have to hear this. Barack Obama. Nice. <laughs> what a day. What a day. <laughs> who is good friends with Ray LaMontagne. Okay. It's all coming together. But one of the things I really want to make sure we unpackage, I also want to get your uh, current take on the the current landscape of the industry, where we are, where we're heading, uh, what needs to change if you think, you know, if you could point out some things. Uh but I do want to talk about scaling because a lot of people who are listening to this are at one location uh, and they're, they're, they're picking up momentum, but their business depends on them. And if they're not there, then, you know, the business doesn't go on. So what is like, what did you learn about scaling and going from one location to two locations to three locations to four locations? Well, what happened with that? I, I mean, I was happy having my one location. My dad retired Belmont Hall. My sister and her husband bought it. That was my sister's only job, and she still owns it and runs it to this day. And my dad, you know, they had a place in Florida. And after about five years, which this is now about 12 years ago, he comes home and he comes, you know, to me and he says, all right, listen, I am sick of driving golf carts. Like, I I, I can't do this. He goes, let's open up another diner. Nice. I go, What? I go, what are you talking about, another diner? So anyway, uh, that's when Milford was born. So I think this is actually a good time to take our second break. I usually do it just before the speed round, but we've been going for a while. I think this is a good time. I no, I, And I'm not rushing because I'm loving the conversation. I'm going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. I'm going to go pay my parking meter, and we'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs, for restaurateurs, and effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success. Especially with this labor shortage, you need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face-to-face. That's just the way people choose to communicate and there's not much we can do about it or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I I personally love most about talk to the manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus with talk to the manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant service product or facility, your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve using talk to the manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use talk to the manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and you were just getting into your dad said, you know, retiring's not for me. I want to come back. I want to open location number two. What made you feel like you were ready to open location number two? You know, I... What was, was the clues? <laughs> really not for it. Yeah. I mean, I was and I wasn't. I, um, and you know, and there was talk of fr- franchising at one point too, but thank God I did listen to my dad and that went away. And then, so then, you know, he comes home and he's like, all right, I'm bored. Let's, uh, I want, let's go in partners. Let's, let's open up another red arrow. So, he had a location that in mind. So then we went for the ride and what really attracted us. So then, then, you know, when, I guess when we went to the location and you're actually there and you can see the vision, it's like, whoa, this could be fun because what that location also had was a bar. Okay. Separate though, separate entrance, separate, you know, in the same building, but separate entrance. And that was kind of something my dad had, you know, wanted to kind of fool around with. He was, pretty excited about that part of it. And um, so it was the it was the old Milford Diner, which has a history all of its own as well. And, uh, and so we opened, um, we opened uh, the Milford Diner, we turned it into the Red Arrow Diner. And um, wow. Um, But what made you I mean, what were the signs that like you're getting a lot of acclamation or accolades at this point? You're getting a lot of recognition. Was there like a sense of urgency to strike while the iron was hot? Like what made you take the leap? I, I think um, I would have never done this if it weren't for my dad to say, hey, let's do this. I think he was seeing what I was doing and what the diner was doing and, and how popular it was and people loved it, so on and so forth. Uh, I, he, he wanted to be in on the action. And, uh, and, and, you know, of course I went along with it. Um, you have to keep in mind it was because of your dad that you even have this. A hundred percent. I mean, a, he was a big part of making it huge, happen, you know, and yeah. still to this day, what goes around comes you know, around. He's right? 81 now. So. That's an asshole he was. Yeah. 81. 
and um, he he works harder than I do. Mm. It's amazing. That's crazy. So, yeah, yeah. So it, it was very rocky uh, when we opened up Milford. You know, when you think you know what you're doing, and uh, you know, so uh, one of my my challenges probably of my career was opening Milford and uh, trying to keep keep it consistent. It was hard. So this is a huge common challenge for it people going from one location so to two locations. What made it hard? What were your challenges? Like what were the cha- like what caused that to be a challenge? So um, this is kind of funny because you know my dad and I, you know here here's you know I've been kind of running it myself and definitely with his help, yeah. no question. Probably part of my cockiness in there too. And you know I, I remember one day uh, dad, you know talking to maybe one of the managers or something. I, I don't exactly remember, but I just remember him saying, um, change the recipe. I'm like, whoa, change what recipe? It was the meatloaf. I go, what do you mean change the meatloaf recipe? It's been working all these years. Why would you do that? Like, So we kind of bucked heads at the beginning. And um, oh, it, it was, um, now, now I look at it. I, I finally got to the point where, um, you know, Dad, he, he, what kind of formed was him back of the house, me kind of front of the house. We yeah. kind of, that, that, that organically grew, you know, um, just kind of naturally. You mentioned earlier that the numbers, the details, back of the house wasn't necessarily your thing. Correct. And it's, I'm not a numbers person. And it's good to have partners that compliment you. Is that, yes. is your dad a numbers person? Yes. So it's, I, it makes sense for him to be in that lane. In dad's pocket, right? Well, probably left, left, top, or whatever. Calculator. Yeah. Like when he goes like this, we're all like, oh, oh boy, <laughs> all the time. So, um, so yeah. Um, so getting that consistency and it, it was, oh man, it was tough. It, we were, you know, when we look at it now, we, we were definitely not ready, but Why, you know, what, like looking at it, what makes you say you weren't ready? What elements made you? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, as far as, you know, training the, the staff and, you know, because there's that that you want to open up as soon as you can because you're paying the mortgage, yeah. right? We bought the building and everybody was, we own the real estate and everything. So, you know, we got to pay that mortgage. It's like, oh. and, yeah. you know, my father runs it very tight. And and I mean that in a good way. Pause, you know, that that's good. I sometimes tend to not like I'm like, well, we need at least, you know, four to six weeks of training and paying the employees before we even open. And he's like, what? No way. <laughs> you know, like, so that kind of thing. We, we definitely were not ready. And, and what we did find out, like when we did open the doors, it was busy. All right. It, I mean, were we ready? Absolutely not. It was chaos so how did you get what things did you start doing to get that consistency how did you develop consistency across brands over time with these two locations i you know we did that's when and that was also about the time that we uh, got a corporate office kind of you know needed to right um you know i have a full-time account controller Mm -hmm. uh we hired a receptionist part-time receptionist amanda who now is partner with the company so you know, and then, then we would get heads together, you know, and then we developed, um, uh, well, actually, no, that wasn't when we started doing that. that was when we had a couple other, the, the other location is when we started doing weekly manager meetings. But just um, really putting putting our heads in the game and 
being on them. My dad spent a lot of time in the kitchen with with the kitchen staff, and I spent a lot of time out front with front staff and just you know, bringing over what we could. And we took veterans with us, like the, you know, the ones, old timer ones that, that had been at the diner for a long time. So they came and there helped open and, That's you know, huge. kitchen. It's, it, this, we know that now. In other conversations, we call these people culture carriers. Yep. These are the people who know in, who know how to be, how to act, what the standards are. And everyone looks to them for guidance and they, and they carry, they carry the culture, they carry the, the standards. You need 100%. these people. Yep. Thank yep. you. Keep going. So that's, you know, and just little by little, it just, you know, it took a while. I'd say it took us about a year, year and a half to, and then my father, all right, we're going to open another one. I'm like, what are you freaking <laughs> crazy? So when did location no. number two open? 98? No. Oh gosh. No, 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 no. Um, Milford was 12 years ago. Okay. So, so 2010. 2010. Yeah. And then the next one was, um, was it? Oh, it was Londonderry was the next one. And that was, how long is Londonderry? Six years ago? I think so it's six years ago. 2012. Oh, wait. I can't see how bad with me the too. dates. 19. So Everyone that, listening to this probably is like, like wow, um, this is the date. It's 2016. Yeah. 15, 16. Sorry. We're over here counting our 15, fingers. I know. It was 2016. <laughs> so <they were laughs> around 15. that. It's been there Give about six them. years. Yeah. And you know, people listening, and, and probably my dad, too, is going to go, it wasn't six years. It was seven years. You know, whatever. So <laughs> it, 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 it was, yeah, approximately. There we go. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he's like, we're ready to open up another one. And then we kind of, um, uh, it, it, it was somebody that had approached us and said, hey, do you want to, I want you to open up a little, uh, Red Arrow yeah, in this location. location. Yeah. Um, and that's when you know you've done it, is when you've had success. If you, I think people get in trouble. They think growth, 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 growth. And they overextend. They get ahead of their skis. They don't have enough people or cash flow to cover the liabilities. But when you just put your head down and you create something truly special, the opportunities come to you. Right. That's and when you know you're ready is when you people are trying to bust down your – maybe you're not ready, but you know you have something when people are, are trying to bust down your door. Yep. And that's what happened. Yeah. Exactly. It, and, it, and we're anchored by a state liquor store. Um, state liquor store. And then on the other side is a gas station. 24-hour gas station. So it worked out, you know, 24-hour diner. 20, and, it, and it's the trucker stop in Londonderry. So, um, yeah. So then we – sure. And you then know, number my four. dad – well, then it was number three. Okay. So we're only done two. So 2000 – That was two. Then we opened 16, up number three. 15-ish. Which was Concord. Got it. Right on Loudon Road across from the McDonald's up in Concord. And then that, that became our biggest store. Not, not. I mean, you know, Manchester, of course, seats thirty six. Uh, Londonderry is about eighty five, I think, eighty eight, something like that. Yeah. And then the Concord one is just about a hundred. I think it's ninety five or a hundred or something. Um, Was that a year after? Two years after? Uh, Londonderry? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure. Probably a year and a half. So 2018. Yep. Yep. And then when was the uh, most recent? No. Seventeen. We got to go earlier than that. It's, <laughs> it's fine. It's, anyway, what was the most recent one? Where's the most recent one? Nashua. Nashua. Nashua was. Um, it it was just a year because we opened up right. We we had been doing the renovation. It was the it's the old friendlies in Nashua, right on Route Three, and uh, we had been in it, and then COVID. Ugh. So it was that March of 2020. 
Perfect timing. Um, so we had to continue. We opened like in June. So it was just a year, right? Okay. So looking back over this past 10 years, lots of growth over the past 10 years. We sold Milford two years ago. Okay. Too. Got it. Uh, so you sell. So now you have a total of three locations or four locations? Now a total of four. Okay. But there was five at one point. Uh, not five. No, because we sold Milford before we got Nashua. Got it. And, that, and it probably is important to let the listeners know too. Milford... You know, because um, I listened to one of your podcasts when, you know, to let people know when you need to close. Mm. That well, was a, that was a recent one, Crimsy Ramsey. Yes, or yes. I say Crimsy Lilith. She what her. a awesome name. She's awesome. I was like, yeah. what the heck? That is a cool name. <laughs> she knows how to brand herself. Yeah, um, you know, Milford was that, and we learned a lot with Milford. I mean, we we had it for ten years. We sold it two years ago, and you know. When they say location, location, location. Yeah, it means something. We learned a whole lot. And we just kept, you know, it always was the one. It's kind of like the black sheep of the family, Milford. You know, I always kind of say, I always said this, there's something in the water in Milford. I'm sorry, (laughs) but something's happening over there. I don't know. And, uh, you know, finally, we're just like, and my dad, you know, he just, he doesn't want to, we almost, we almost had him, actually, I think it, it did, it went up for sale, went up for sale, and then he got cold feet, and we took it off the market right away, like, dad, we got to do this, we're putting money into it, yeah. you know, it was just, it it just, there was always problems over there, um, so finally, we, we sold it right, was it right before COVID? No, it was the year before. Year so before. what are some of the lessons? Like how, like after 10 years of scaling and looking back and the evolution, your business must have, I'm sure it's evolved. I'm sure you've had to add roles. I'm sure you've had to create new systems mm-hmm. with each new evolution, with new each new restaurant. What were the things you needed to change or evolve into to manage? Were there any changes? Changes to... Not, I mean, what was important? What was important to me was to keep all those types of things that I put into place for all the locations, like the rituals, the culture, right? Yeah, you know, and, and they're in all the diners. Um. So, I mean, the things we changed or added on to, I should say, uh, like you know, now we have like a a main, you know, like a recipe book because that was important, the Bible, right? right? It, it's yeah. the Bible <laughs> and an ever-changing one too, I, might I add. You know, so everything gets done like out of here, the corporate. And right now, you know, we incorporated, which this is, you know, this was huge. When we started doing this, we started it once a month, meet, having all the general managers here on a Thursday. And then, you know, after a little bit of this, I'm like, uh, we need to do this weekly. Like, we really need to do this weekly. And now, you know, dad, we, we've got, you know, the locations are going and it's, you know, kind of kind of going okay, you know. Um, and just having them here every week and then going over the food cost in each location. And it was kind of like a, 
you know, who is the winner of the week kind of thing, whose food cost was, you know, right on, whose was a little high, whose was a little, you know, whatever, food cost, labor cost, um, sales, uh, you know, and then we would pick certain things each week, like, okay, how many uh, Dinah Fingers did you sell this week? Or how many did this one? And and then they kind of vie, you know, we would kind of pick a pick a certain, you know, we when we opened up Nashua, we incorporated fraps, Well, we incorporated it in all the diners. Mm. You know, at first they're like, well, Manchester, where's, you know, Manchester, we hardly have the room. Oh, that was when we started ice cream. That's right. Where are we <laughs> well, going to put ice cream on. in Manchester? But some of the, the, thing, the, the things that I think you're getting into right now is the, the importance of regular meetings. Yes. All the different restaurants coming together, keeping alignment. Keeping it consistent. Yeah, keeping it consistent. Also, your, your dad and what, you, what it sounds like you guys are doing is developing the, the game of business. Right. Exactly. Where now, okay, we're looking at the numbers. Now we're competing against each other. Now we're not just one restaurant who has to figure it out. We're five restaurants who get to figure it out together. What are you doing? Oh, that works really well. Well, we'll try that over here. And you're, 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 you're masterminding, you're brainstorming, yep. right? And you're constantly improving. Well, what did your dad say? Better today? Yeah. Did I make it better today? Did I make it better today? And you're, and you're, you're, you're multiplying and you're, you're getting more perspective, right? Um, what is, I don't want to put words into your mouth, though, but do you want to continue on that thought? Um, <laughs> Putting it on the spot right now. Well, no, you, you, uh, what you said is exactly right. I mean, we, you know, on a weekly basis, things would pop up and, you know, we, we'd have to, we'd, we'd put certain things in place, Yeah. you know. Um, one of our things that we didn't do very well, and we recognized it, it took a little bit, but, you know, you kind of, I, I like to have all of them involved in, in, in decision making. Them being who specifically? The GMs. Got it. And, you know, so it was always Amanda, myself, my dad, and then the four GMs. And that that ended up being, you know, we kind of learned from that. It's like, you know, as much as you want to have their input in in decisions, um, we need to make the, the decision first, you know, and then bring it to them. Um I don't I'm not even sure why I just said that. Um but I remember learning that, you know, because we're, I always want, like, for instance, when we have like a soup of the day, I always wanted the cooks to be creative. Use your creativity now. You don't have to go buy a recipe. Use your creativity and, you know, make a soup. Like, mm-hmm. that's important to them, I think. You know, let, I trust you. Yeah. You know? It, 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 it creates a sense of autonomy. Right. And a, a sense of creative freedom. Um, that's one of the thoughts I had when you had your menu board. I mean, when you have a when you have a, a set menu, things get stale and boring. Your, your people are going through motions. They need a creative outlet. Yeah. Uh, when you have that special board, it's like, OK, how can we have fun with this? Right. right. And that if it really hits, that becomes a new menu item. Right. Yep. If you want to keep it around. But yeah, absolutely. You exactly. want to bring people in. You want to give those creative outlets. I always like to, you know, use your creativity. You know, it doesn't have to just be this, 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 the way what we have. I mean, we have such a huge menu anyway, but, um, but yeah, um, although I, I, it worked when there was, you know, two locations, maybe even three, but then, you know, you start getting big. I mean, right now I have a hundred and we have 175 employees in all the locations. That's a lot of employees. Yeah. I mean, I don't know all the cooks anymore. I really don't. Um, we can only handle about 150 total relationships in our life. And see? That's, that's your entire staff. So, so it, it's so after a while of letting them be creative like that, we did have to put a stop to it because then 
I mean, the soups were either really bad or, you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, you could control it a little bit more yeah. um, when it was smaller. But that, that again, was kind of my dad's, dad's you know, thing that he handled. So. Got it. So some of the big things, uh, centralizing, uh, having weekly meetings, uh, getting into the numbers, sharing the numbers, gamifying, gamifying the numbers. Uh, you get your recipe Bible consistency. There is only one way to do it. And it's exactly. what the recipe says. And there's tools right now. Like I think a Mies that like are digitizing all these things. Uh, Mies is something that does exactly that. It's like a back of house tool. And I mean, you, there's just this constant state of evolution. And that's what I'm kind of curious about. Like how, how have you evolved over the years? Cause I don't always get to talk to somebody who owns a restaurant that opened in, in 1922. Right. And you've had it since 1980 or 93, 87, 87. I mean, even in that 35 years, 34 years, whatever it is, 36 years, times have changed. I'm sure you've had to evolve as a business owner. What, what does that evolution look like now? Where are you now? Uh, and, and what is, what is it like to be a legacy brand in the modern age? You know, it, that that's that's a really good question because you know when and and I always go back to to the roots at the Manchester location, you know we kind of call Manchester the gem, yeah. you know, um, and certain things that were on the menu, um, that I had to like like one of them was called the number one, which is a hot Hamburg sandwich. I mean the old timers, you knew who old you knew the old timers when they ordered a number one. Because that's how they ordered it, yeah. number one. And and that was it. You just ordered it. And it was a, you know, a burger patty on a piece of bread and gravy and uh, green beans and mashed potatoes. That's what it was, number one. Number two was this burger. Instead of burger, it was turkey. And, you know, when we would start doing the reports, when it's time for menu change, which is a really important thing to do in the restaurants, like when I go to a restaurant and you can tell that their menu has not changed in probably three years or something, and I'm talking prices, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I think that's not I, cool. I personally believe prices should be changing almost weekly at this age because probably it will. I mean, you, it wouldn't be on a like because things are so variant right now with the way the market is. It is There's certain no, items, definitely, and everything's digital, so you don't need to print out a whole new set of menus. Wow, I mean, depending. But yes, you're right. In in, if, in some respect, yeah. In some in some concepts, uh-huh. like mm-hmm. if you're using a tablet or digital menus, um, and people even now you have QR codes yep. and people are becoming customized using their own phone. They want to use their own phone because right. it's safer, quote unquote. Um, so like you can make one change in your POS and it pushes out pushes it to all of them Correct. instantaneously. Yep. So you, sh- it should be an equation. Yep. What was the cost of that this week? Change the price. Let's, let's get ours. Yep. I don't think there's anything wrong with pushing it forward to the consumer. You're in business. Yeah. You know? Definitely. Most definitely. Especially now. Yeah. You know, with, with the way the prices are right now, but we're, we're, my dad keeps really good. He takes care of that. He's like on top of that. Him yeah. and Amanda, they, yeah. they really, and conquer, right? yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. But those certain items, when we would do reports, and, and probably you know the number one is probably not a good example because we're not going to get rid of hamburgers at the diner. Yeah, but but it also took real estate on that menu mm-hmm. that we needed to replace with something else that was selling. Yeah, and that's been and a, I had a really hard time with that. And that's a big evolution in itself over the past thirty years. Is menus have become a lot smaller. Um, what, what, what's your menu look like? How many items are on it? Is it a big menu? It is huge. Yeah. Has it changed at all over the years? It has. Yeah. It has changed. Um, 
you know, we added burger bar, we have a Putsin bar, we have, oh gosh, it, it, it is a very, you know, I, should know the amount number of items it, it's a lot it's like five pages long yeah it's pretty big yeah but just you know again we we had we had to get rid of those because see I, I i look at the number one is that's a that's a diner food we can't mm. we can't take that off the menu guys it's part of your brand your identity. like and, and it was always like inexpensive you yeah. know um you know that chicken croquettes is another good example that was a diner food yeah. you know um sos that it's was a, a huge little, one it's an homage to history of the of the right. history of the, of the concept yep. right but I had to accept that, and you know, I, I kept the number one on as long as I could. And my dad's <laughs> like, "All right, one more year, or six more, you know, in six months, whatever." But you know, so in that in that way, yes, things things definitely evolve that way. Carol, is there anything we haven't talked about up to this point <laughs> that you're really hoping we would talk about that hasn't come out of today's conversation? Well, I I did just want to mention. Uh, going back to 98, that year, um, when we went smoke-free, which was huge, May of 98. And obviously, it was the um, right thing to do for sure. Very scary, but it was the right thing. Because then in that very same year, in September, I was voted one of the top 10 diners in the country wow. by USA Today. That's huge. And I mean, talk about putting us really on the map. Like, it was, it was just... Cr- I mean, people come from all over the world. And we also have like, we have guest books that people sign and we have volumes and volumes of them. And one time somebody stole one of the volumes at, in Manchester and, uh, was Adam Sanders called the there? media. Yeah. Right. Probably. Right. I called the media and I said, listen, and then they did a whole article on us finding the, the, uh, the journal. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, so that voted one of the top ten diners in the country by USA Today is huge, and then of course Guy Fieri mm-hmm. uh, visited the diner in two thousand seven. Which dish did he feature? He featured uh, American chop suey, which is a staple, and it is still the staple at the diner. That mm-hmm. I don't think is going to go away. Uh, American chop suey, and uh, also it was around March. It must have um, no, it was like April. Uh, for some reason, we had corned beef cabbage that particular day and they wanted to showcase that. So we did that, which was a little different now that well, I think was, about this it. This is early on in the diners dives and drive drive. It was his like, first season. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, and then he also, I wanted to do my baker had come up with making homemade Twinkies. We call them Dinah fingers and, and they're just like the Twinkies, but of course they're better because they're homemade. And I wanted them to showcase that. And they said to me, they said, uh, they said, oh, no, the guy does not do dessert. It's just not going to be. And I'm like, damn. Yeah, because he has to eat all the food and he's trying to stay slim. (laughs) (laughs) So when he came, because they do do pre-roll and then then he comes, you know, it was a Saturday, which was a busy day, which was awesome. Um, And he goes... I want those, those, those have to be in, in the segment, you know? (laughs) So I had to call my baker and have my baker come down so that, you know, she could be in the shoot. And we know even to this day when it airs and, and still 2007. So we're talking many years, 17, 18, 15 years, right. It still airs to, to this day. And we know it because we get calls from around the country, around the world, even 
that we ship our Dynafingers out because they see them and they want to, they want they want them. How do you ship those out? Do you use a service, Goldbelly or anything like we, that? You know, we've talked about Goldbelly, yeah. and then COVID started, and we just started that conversation again. That's okay. funny you're mentioning that. No, we would just ship them next day. Yeah, that's a great resource to get. Like if you have fans around the country and yeah. you have a unique selling proposition that is unique to your hometown yeah. that people crave like that's a great tool gold exactly. belly which is basically like a, a marketplace of craveable uh specialties yeah it's it's pretty cool yeah a lot of my past guests because they are leaders in their market are on that platform because people want it no matter where they go um so one of the things again inspire empower and transform the industry uh, i believe that if we transform the industry we'll transform the world and i think we're in desperate need of that right now honestly uh so what what do you think needs to change about the industry in the world and how can we, how can we influence that? Like, I know it's a loaded question, right? What do, what do you think is broken about our industry? If anything, Hmm. What do I think is broken? What's something that has to change? Well, what has put us all into this whirlwind of course is COVID right now. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it has been, I'm not even sure if that's, the way you want me to answer it. I'm not sure. Um, well, I think COVID absolutely exposed the industry for a lot of its weaknesses. Right? I mean, look how many places went out of business. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think people have to also realize, look how many restaurants opened before COVID. Before COVID, there was an unprecedented amount of restaurants. Retail was failing. The only thing that was working in retail space was food. So developers were just throwing restaurants wherever they could just to fill a retail space. And there was, that caused a shortage of staff in my opinion I think that was a primary issue with the staffing is because there's more restaurants than people who are willing to work in restaurants uh, and then that just got compounded with covid and i mean no surprise that so many restaurants went out of business so many of them were just barely hanging on before covid we like to blame covid but we know that a lot of those restaurants were barely hanging on and that was just the you know the what's the expression the something that cracked the shell or whatever the the i can't remember there's some weird expression <laughs> That's what kind of was the final blow, you know? Right. I, I feel the restaurants that closed during COVID, yes, some of them maybe that had just started, you know, and just and just couldn't hold on. The straw that broke the camel's, camel's back. back. That's there what I was trying to say. <laughs> um, I feel that if, you know, you didn't pivot and change, you you weren't going to make it. No. So I think I think a lot of them... That did close was just because they 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 just weren't willing it forced evolution. to pivot. It, it totally did. Yeah. I mean, we we were on top of it right from the get go. I mean, you know, we incorporated all. I mean, digital everything. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we put outside seating. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought you could eat outside in, at the Manchester location? Well, we made it happen. Yeah, all of the locations, uh, Nashua, Londonderry. Um, all picnic tables outside. Yeah. Okay. So post COVID now we're two years into this. I mean, it's still here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, Oh, it is. It's still very much here, but uh, there's no staff looking to the future. Right. I mean, we could talk about COVID, but I just feel like people are like, I don't want to be a a dead horse. What's the expression? I'm killing it with the expressions today. Right. (laughs) Um, so, uh, going forward, what is, what's the conversation look like? What's the evolution looking like? What are you doing now? to stay relevant in the, I hate this expression, but the new normal. I know the new normal. Well, our, our biggest challenge right now is, is staff. 
is hiring staff. I mean, the Red Arrow is known for 24-7, 365. The only one, the only location that is open 24-7 is our Manchester location. The other ones are not because we don't just don't have the staff. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that that's that's huge right now. Um, you know, and, and the quality of people that we're getting when they apply, it, it it's just, it's so different. Um, you know. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think because they all could, they all could, they were making more money being, staying home rather than coming to work. Well, you look at what, I, there's so many variables to take into consideration right now. And um, I recently read um, the Pandemia how the pandemic took over like the government, your lives and the media or whatever. I can't remember the full title, but they touch on a lot of these things. And, and the people that work in the restaurant industry are lower to middle class people as far as income goes. Right. And some, a lot of these people have children and guess what? When the kids don't go to school, that was their daycare. These people have no choice but to stay home with their kids because True. they can't afford childcare, not on the wages that they're, they're making in the restaurant industry. So if your choice, if your choice is go to work and not have a solution for your child or stay home, collect unemployment and make about, or just as much as you're working and then being with your family every day, you're going to choose that path. Right. Um, so you can't blame the worker, you know, because we live in this world now where, we like the expectations, the cost of living are so high. And this is kind of like, I'm so middle of the road, but this is where I see the government getting involved, you know, like subsidizing and providing a solution for childcare. So the, the workforce can get back to work. We forgot how dependent we were on the school system, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not black and white. It's not cut and dry. It's a very messy world right now. There's, routines and habits and, and things that just got thrown out the window that we depended on. What's going through your mind as I share this? Well, what's going through my mind um, when we talked earlier about work ethic. Yeah. And I always, I mean, I always had a work ethic. I, I always worked, you know, and it just seems, you know, as things evolve and change, and this is before COVID even, mm -hmm. you know, some kids, you know, when you look at the kids now and you look at the kids back when I was younger, they're, they're totally different. They're lazy. I mean, they don't have a work ethic. But whose fault is that? I, I guess it's our fault. I mean, it's it's society. We're responsible. I, if, I agree. If, I agree. If the time, I mean, my kids aren't like that. If the time to teach people how to be adults isn't when they're kids, when is it? Right. It's true. And that pressure goes. That goes it, it's on. It's true. Up, and and uh, the adults of today's mm -hmm, time. Like, mm -hmm. And I see it. And I, I gotta be like, I don't want to. I see it in my life where there's a certain, I guess, like whatever happened to going out and shoveling the snow or mowing the lawn. Exactly. Or there's just a little, like, like no, no, my child's not going to do that. I mean, I think there is some truth to what you're saying. Um, but how do we change that? I, I, yeah, that, 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 that's something. That's a big question. That's a loaded question. I mean, I think we, it goes back to the beginning. I mean, you know, Putting it in, you know, like you got to work for what you get. You know, yeah. I think that, you know, people now just hand things to them and they don't realize what it takes to get that. Like yeah. they're just handed it to them. You know, mm -hmm. they, they have it handed to them and it's like, oh, well, whatever. I guess I didn't have to work for that. So just continue. So I guess we need to start making them be accountable for that and do something for that or, 
you know, we got to, I guess, do what my parents did. I think the solution is all kids need to go into the restaurant industry to get through COVID. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's, it's new age right? daycare. <laughs> right. Oh, get my gosh. Sink. Come and Peel get in those the potatoes. Sink. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's those are the people that did this work. I'm just like you. I remember Saturday morning, 5 a.m., going to the restaurant at – the window down in the middle of the winter. My dad's smoking a butt. I'm freezing my fucking ass off <laughs> and I'm peeling potatoes while my friends are watching cartoons. Yeah. But I learned the value of a dollar. You know, I was like. making 30 bucks a week at the age of like nine years old, which is huge. I was a fat little kid eating candy all the time. It was great. Uh, but there, I don't know. There's, there seems to be this adverse association with work and children. I agree. I don't know why, but I think that, Encouraging more young people to to work is part of the solution. And it's okay. Yeah. You know, I think some parents, they, I don't know, they just, they don't, they don't think it's okay. I'm not sure why. I, I, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've loved this conversation. Uh, I've really enjoyed everything we've um, unpacked today. You've been a lot of fun. Um, like I, I always echo that and this is intentional and I'm encouraging you got you listening to some, do you, do you echo your mission statement? Do you bring it to the surface often? This is another example of a ritual, right? So people will know why you're here. Inspire, empower, transform the industry. Uh, how have you personally, um, transformed? How have you evolved as a, as an individual? Who are you now versus the, the woman you were when you got into this industry? Oh boy. I've, I've learned so much. I mean, that's another loaded question, Eric. Um, how have I evolved? I mean, I'm not sure how to answer that. What are your values now versus then? <laughs> What's important to you now that wasn't important to you then? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I think back the early days at the diner when, you know, it was easy to just give up, go to dad and say, I guess kind of like the kids we're talking about today, (laughs) right? Um, And, you know, and now, yeah. You're more um, accountable. Right, right. Being accountable and being responsible and, yeah. Beautiful. I've loved this conversation. Uh, this is normally when I would take my second break to go thank our sponsors, but I took care of that earlier when I paid my meter. So we're just going to go straight into the speed round. Uh, the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? My it factor is, uh, is just uh, being present, being present, um, listening with an open ear. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness, oh my gosh, I had all of these done. Um, my biggest weakness is has always been, and it still is, I'm getting a little bit better, is numbers, yeah. is learning the numbers. There's also something to be said about knowing, there, there's this echo that you hear sometimes of people saying, you know, like work on your weaknesses and like be well-rounded. There's some truth to that. I also think there's some truth to knowing what your weaknesses are and staying away from it and finding somebody who compliments you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. So stay in your lane, you know, there's lots of like counterdictory or counter counterdicting advice out there. Um, it's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> What's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're, when you're growing your, your team and you're interviewing? I always like to hear them say, you know, I always ask what are, you know, what are your strengths? And then equally as important, what are your weaknesses? Yeah. 
that's a, that's how we, we lead this interview or the, the speed round. What is your it factor, right? What's your weakness? It's self-awareness is really important. Yeah. Uh, what is one of your biggest challenges today? Well, uh, you know, again, not to, to mention it, like you said, uh, it, right now with the diners, it's, it's dealing with the COVID-19 and, you know, being on top of the menus with price changing and pivoting and doing what we need to do and staff. That's yeah. our, that's our biggest challenge right yeah. now. Uh, how are you overcoming it? We kind of already talked about, it, but just what's your solution for overcoming it? Uh, pivoting. Yeah. Doing what you need to do. Get in and, you know, be that change, you know, um, so how are you changing? Uh, putting all kinds of different, you know, uh, you know, new cleaning in place, new, you know, putting in, we have like a, a full-time uh, uh, handyman, uh, handyman slash maintenance guy that travels the diners and he gets his list every Thursday of what he needs to go and fix and, and do. And, you know, a lot of that, like doing the outside seating, um, doing online ordering, um, I never thought that that would work at the diner. I'm like, who is going to order eggs online? Like, it's just so weird. But let me tell you, that was a huge one. Wow. And it's huge. Yeah. So, you know, pivoting that way and doing what you need to do. Yeah. Share one code of behavior. Sorry, one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. I, you know, I have always be open and honest, communicate. Um, I never want anybody working for me that is not happy. You have to be, you have to love your job. Yes. If you don't love your job, no. What is one uncommon standard of service you, you teach your team? So it's something common within the four walls of your restaurants, but not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond. <laughs> Ringing the virgin bell. Ringing the virgin bell, making your guests feel special. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love it. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? You know, I, I'm I'm not a huge reader. The kind of books that I like, and there's two of them that that popped into my head when when I read this question. Uh, the story about the In and Out Burger, mm. and also the story of McDonald's. I just think is is yeah, so cool. They're great stories. What what's one big lesson from the In the In and Out Burger story? Uh, you know, you can get to where you want to with hard work. Yeah, I mean. Hard work, same with McDonald's. I mean, and just keeping on it. I mean, who would have known that would have happened with McDonald's even, right. you know? Um, so, yeah, those, hard work. Those overnight hard successes that off. took 20 years. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, name one service you've hired or outsourced to. So this is something that you know that it's it's more reasonable for you to outsource to find somebody who's better, who does this one thing than you could ever do in-house. Payroll. And who do you use? Trivantis. Tri- say that one more time. Trivantis. Trivantis. And are they a New Hampshire based? They're actually or? right here in Manchester, right around the corner. Trivantis. A little shout out. T-R-I-A-V-A-N-T-I-S. Trivantis. And what is one piece of technology that you've adopted recently that's had a huge impact on your communication, operations, profitability? You said pivot a lot, right? What, what were the tools that you were leveraging to, to make those pivots? What did you go with? Uh, I mean, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a loaded question. It's it lot, is. It is. I, I had an answer for that, but my answer doesn't make sense now. Um, what was your answer? Well, it, it was our POS system. What you do know, you use? We use Aloha right now. We've yeah. had a couple of different ones and we're not really too sure about Aloha right now, but 
Um, if you switch, please let me make an introduction. It ooh. helps out the show. I have some recommendations okay. for you. Okay. Um, but what um, was what, you said that you were going to answer the, the question differently now? What were you leaning towards? Well, the I, I was leaning towards what what piece of um, technology is our POS system? <laughs> I don't know. All right, pass. We'll give you a pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I flunked that one. Uh, but yeah, your your point of your your POS system is crucial. It is the the backbone, the spine of your business. So don't. I think people try to pinch pennies and save money in that vertical. Don't be afraid to save money or spend money there. It's going to help you in the long run. And, it takes money to make yeah. money. And I will say that the number one most recommended POS on the show by a landslide is Toast. And that's not me. That's me interviewing hundreds of restaurants. I have heard that. Yeah. Uh, and I am an affiliate. So please let me submit your name okay. for a demo. And you're supporting the show. Thank you very much. And that goes to you, the listeners, too. It's I might even be able to save you money. It's I, I'm making money, but it's at no extra expense to you. And it really does support the show. So thank you. If you do cool. reach out. Uh, what is oh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. So get ready for it. It's a deep one. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memory of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces oh, of wisdom be? Oh, man. Okay. Well, um, first of all, being the keeper of keeping the history better. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish when I was younger, I paid more attention to to the history of all the stories I heard, maybe writing more things down. And, you know, because then you get to a point and you're like, I don't remember that. Oh my gosh, I don't, rem- I don't remember that. Why I, is history important though? Why? I, I think with the Red Arrow, it's extremely important, you know, and, and that's why I'm so blessed that I have a relationship with the original owner's son and his, and his daughter keeps like the history of their family. So I've learned a lot from her too. You know, just, I just, because of the because of the red arrow name and, yeah. and what it represents yeah. and, and nostalgia, yeah, um, beautiful. Uh, so that was number one. Keep keep better tr- history records. Number yep. two, um, you know, most of the time when you are approached by, you know, listen to your gut. Your gut instinct is usually, you know, when you start questioning it, it's usually, you know. Listen to your gut. Yeah. is what what I'm what that I want message to say. that I think that's pretty big. You feel in your gut. Yep, is coming from your brain exactly, and it's the low road. It's the subconscious. It's the the part of your brain that you don't even know that's there, hustling, paying attention to all the little details, all the little data, yep. and it's steering you in a direction. It means something. Don't ignore it for yep. sure. Number yep. three. Number three is being open to feedback. Mm. You know, um, don't get defensive. I know in my younger days, I, I got defensive, especially with my dad. Um, it took us a few years to iron everything out. Now we're, I mean, it's, I shouldn't even say a few years, but just being open to feedback because it's so important and asking for feedback. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, it's okay. Yes. Um, you, you can't make it better if you don't know. So yes, beautiful. Um, and obviously I got to ask you, and that was the last question that in the is, speed right? round. Yes. However, <laughs> Uh, I find the majority of my guests, I really want this podcast to be a podcast for the industry, by the industry. Success recognizes success. Bobby Marcotte uh, sees your success, sees your value, admires you. He called you out. That was episode 827. We never talked about Bobby either. <laughs> hey, well, I just queued you up. What do you want to say about Bobby? I, you know, he he's just an amazing 
amazing guy. You know, well, when I met him, it was on my radio show and I had heard about Tuckaway Tavern. It was, it was maybe the first year or two. I invited him onto the show. It was actually right here in, in this room. studio. And, you know, we have like our, our little blue room, green room, we call it over there. So when we're, you know, anyway, he was waiting in the green room. I walked out and I walked right past him. I'm like, where is Bobby Marcotte? I turn around and he goes, uh, it's me. And I'm like, you? You like he he looked he was too young to be doing what he was doing. I literally walked right past him because I was just like, oh my gosh. And then when he came in here and we just sat and talked, I, I just think he's amazing at what he's done and he's it, what they've done uh, with Talk Away. Amazing. It blows my mind that how old ten years into how, crazy they've been around for a while now, at least eight years. Yeah. Uh, uh at, I think ten, two thousand twelve. At two th- at, at two p.m. on a Monday, there's an oh, hour. Oh, you can't get in there. Wait. It's crazy. Yep. It blows my mind the amount of success they've had, and he's doing great things with Hop and Grind. Hop and now. Grind, Rise, Rise and Grind. Grind. I mean, his brain is just um, it's he's amazing. Very creative. He's just amazing. Very creative. Yeah. Uh, a little love there for you, Bobby. Yeah. So who do you respect? And admire? pay it forward. Who do you, and I think success recognizes success? Okay, and you know, Eric, I, I know a lot of people. All right. Y- I'm make a list. I am giving you. (laughs) And do you know one of them I thought of in the middle of this interview? And I'm like, how could I have passed that one? So uh, my first one I'm calling out is Kevin Cornish. Casey's Rib Shack. Okay. He, I mean, he is amazing also with his restaurant, with his menu, with everything. Just an amazing, and his... Uh, marketing, you're going to love him. You are going to absolutely love him. Um, The next one uh, goes from, uh, he is eccentric. He kind of beginning in the restaurant business, or or not even really, Angela's Pasta Shop, Steve Freeman. You are going to love him also. And he's also a major foodie. And he cooks. He was a sous chef. Um, yeah, that's right. He was a sous chef. Now he owns Angelo's Pasta Shop. That's been about two years now, which is like a new thing for him. He's Are you amazing. Angelo or Angela's? Angela's. Got it. Yeah, Angelo's uh, Pasta so Shop. And Kevin the third. And Steve. I have and three. the third. I have three. Drop it on me. Allie Nault. Allie Nault is, is a young girl. Absolutely amazing. Johnson and Wales. She was my son's girlfriend for a while. Um, went to Johnson and Wales. She is a sommelier. Um, she's amazing. Amazing. All right. Allie, Steve, Kevin, look out. I'm coming after you guys. I'd love to get you on the show. I'd love to share your story. And I just have to say, there is no questioning. Carol, you are unstoppable. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Carol Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Uh, Man, tons of takeaways from today's chat. So we have some cool things happening over at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. I want to make sure you are aware of them Uh, on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern time, the 26th of this week. We have Paul 
Baron. So if that name sounds familiar, he's the man behind Footable IO or Footable TV, uh, doing really great stuff over there. But lately, he's been shifting his focus on blockchain, Bitcoin. Um, and I'm really curious because he's so closely tied to the restaurant industry and he's uh, kind of carving a path out for himself as an authority in the subject of uh, blockchain. And I, I really want to get his take on what the industry looks like with the f- influence of blockchain. Like what what does this mean? What is this? What are the implementations? What, like what, what does this mean for the restaurant industry? How can we leverage this changing landscape? That's what I hope to get out of Paul. That's going to again be uh January 26th at 4 p.m. on Wednesday. Come hang out with us. And then on Thursday, we have Stephanie Robson coming back to do part three of our three-part series on kitchen design and layout. And we're going to be covering kitchen equipment. So if you're going to be making some big purchases real soon and you have questions i highly recommend you come hang out with us i'll get you a link for free to be a part of this conversation because i know there's going to be a ton of value if you guys are able to join us live so email me eric at restaurantstoppable.com i'll get you a link for a 30-day trial to get into the network so you can be a part of these conversations um other news i'm headed to new orleans can't wait to get there uh this is going to be kind of exciting this is the first time i'm going to be traveling with a videographer and social media person i'm really trying to take restaurant stoppable to the next level i want to bring you guys in behind the scenes and uh pick up some extra content uh there's just so much that falls between the cracks when i'm on the road by myself it's just a lot for one person to manage so lots of good things happening at restaurant stoppable and if you're in new orleans and you want to connect, don't be shy. Reach out to us, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.